you know some positivity and some really fun uh just laughing and stuff in your video game news check out the reset gaming podcast and if you don't like all that fun stuff just keep listening to our podcast right yeah we're just (laughs) doom and gloom and nasty to each other and (laughs) cynical Welcome to episode 43 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and this is our discussion of our October 2017 game. This month, Rich and I go back-to-back with our last episode by having another one-on-one discussion about another PlayStation 4 exclusive title. We have a tradition around here of picking spooky horror-themed games in the month of October, and this year is no exception. We also love interactive narrative adventures, so Until Dawn seemed like a natural fit all around. Did it satisfy our October bloodlust? Stay tuned to find out. Please remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to us on YouTube. You can listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. As always, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the amazing games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast.
haven't even talked about baseball in quite a while. I didn't watch too much of it this year or go to too many games even. I had to kind of learn the Yankees roster in the playoffs because they got a bunch of new and younger players and rookies and uh, they got this guy Aaron Judge who broke the rookie record for home runs. So turns out to be a pretty exciting team in what they said would be a rebuilding year, but they made it pretty far. Did you watch any of this uh, playoff baseball at all, or do you root for anybody? I do. I didn't watch much playoff baseball this year. I've been pretty busy. I'm um, unfortunately, I think I've told you this before, but I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan. We've talked uh, about this, right? right. <laughs> yeah, we've said this on the air. Maybe I try to block it out or I think not so. talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we, you and I have never like gone in depth with it, but baseball is not my number one sport. Is it appears to be yours, as yes. I can tell. It wasn't a sport that I really played a lot growing up. I played football, so I'm more of a an NFL fan which my Bears whooped the Carolina Panthers today. As everyone knows, I'm from North Carolina, but I really dislike the Carolina Panthers, so I'm really stoked to have that uh, win under my belt today because it's my win, right? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably wearing your lucky underwear and everything. Uh, no, none of that. It's <laughs> lucky to be wearing underwear, actually. So <laughs> haven't done laundry in a while since I got back from Retro World Expo. Uh, which we'll uh, get to. Awesome. But yeah, man, we were going to record Friday night. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, do you want to record? And you're like, uh, uh, baseball games Friday night. And I was like, what? What? Sports yeah. ball? <laughs> yeah, Friday night was game six. As we record this, it's the day after game seven, which was between the Yankees and the Astros in the American League Championship. And the Astros won, and they're going into the World Series against the Dodgers, which will probably be over by the time this episode airs. So congratulations yeah. to whoever won. <laughs> but it isn't going to be the Yankees this year. But it, it was cool because they really played the heck out of these games. And most of them, I mean, the series went seven games, which is awesome in and of itself. But most of the games are real pitchers duels. The pitching was just amazing in, in yeah. all seven games. So. It was cool, and it's something that, you know, as fans, we want to see our team go all the way. But it, it, it was definitely something that people can be, be proud of for a team full of rookies and last-minute transplants. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I was telling you, I mean, it, it is sad to see your team lose. But when you put it in perspective, the Yankees are like a really young team. They got in with a wild-card play-in game. They won that game, which is a, just a single game. They beat the Cleveland Indians, who... Uh, at one point this season, how many wins did they have in a row? It was 20-something, 20 23, 20-something. 20 I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I don't remember, but they had some crazy streak. Yeah, they like broke the record, uh, and That's they were right. expected to at least meet the Astros. And then they took the Astros to Game 7, who, who Houston has had an incredible year. A, they have probably the best infield in baseball, and they've got the whole Houston disaster kind of on their backs. You know, They've got something to really play for. But yeah. for... You know, for the Yankees to make it that far, that's that's amazing. I can't say the same for my Red Sox. They got taken out pretty early in by the Indians, actually, who the uh, Yankees ended up playing and beating. So congratulations on the nice season. For sure. Being in the central time zone now, the games are an hour earlier than they were when I lived in New Jersey, which is no small thing for me, but I'm still staying up later than I normally would. So I will watch the World Series, but I might only really care about the elimination games when it gets to that point you know sure because so, i mean 
the Astros are one of the local teams here, but I don't care about the Astros or the Dodgers. Yeah, so. I was going to ask you about that. You know, being in Texas now and being a Yankees fan, how's that been? You know, kind of being around the buzz of Houston, Austin not having a team. I imagine everyone's pulling for the Astros. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely way more Astros fans around here than there are Texas Rangers fans. I'll tell you that for sure. But it's mostly a fun rivalry. Like my, my friend Corey is a huge Astros fan. And the other day when I was at work, the mailman came in. He was wearing an Astros hat and I was wearing my <laughs> Yankees hat. And we were, you know, staring each other down and started yelling at each other. It was really funny. funny. So yeah. It's fun and friendly and, you know, nobody griefs me for wearing Yankee gear or anything. Like I said, I went on the field at a Round Rock Express game for one of those in-between innings games with all my Yankee gear on and they were just making fun of me. It was very fun and, you know, in good spirits. So, How many layers of dust was on his Astros hat? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's a team that suffered for a long time, man. Yeah, they lost that World Series in the early 2000s. But yeah, that's, you know, it's good for them. I, and I hope they win. If, yeah, they, as too. long as it's not the Red Sox, I usually will root for the American League team. So yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, awesome. I told you the story about when I was in college. I uh, I was a Red Sox fan because, I mean, I grew up nowhere near Boston, but I collected baseball cards as a kid. And there's this guy named Mike Greenwell, who maybe a few random people may remember, who was a rookie in 1987. And he was like my guy. That that was my guy. That's who I collected my cards for, you know, and mm-hmm. um, had a buddy who was a big Will Clark fan. So he collected all of Will Clark's cards and he was a Giants fan, still is to this day. And so that's how that kind of happened. So I get in college and my roommate's a Yankees fan, and I'm like, oh, man, these Yankees hats are cool. I'm going to buy one. So I bought one and start wearing it around. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you <laughs> cannot do that. I had no idea. I mean, growing up outside of that and outside of that rivalry, I just had no idea. So I do pull for my Red Sox, but I'm not like some kind of diehard fan that grew up in Boston and just rabid about it. So That kind of stuff is just a bit much for me in any sport or anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I don't get uh, wrapped up in sports ball about anything. Except for today, I was definitely yelling at the TV and just happy to see Cam Newton getting smashed. Uh, It just made me really happy. (laughs) I can't deal with the fans around here. They act like they haven't been football fans for more than 15 years. You know, like no one else existed before the Carolina Panthers. So it's it's really irritating. And even family members of mine give me hell. So, of course, after the game, I took to Facebook, which was nice. Very nice. Well, this is interesting. Last month, we talked about music for the first about 20 minutes of the podcast. And now we're, we're coming on 10 minutes of talking about sports. I mean, we're really trying to diversify here, Rich. What What is going on? I think we're either diversifying or we're trying to get rid of listeners. Right. I think we should move on. <laughs> uh, I agree, definitely. So what is this? We, we got a news item about the SNES Mini again. What What is this? I don't know. I just want to mention, you know, just kind of as a follow-up that apparently was fairly successful. Everybody, it seemed that wanted to get one seemed to have gotten one yeah i don't know what the status of it is now do you uh i don't i keep seeing things on social media of gamestop getting more shipments like every other week it seems like so seems like they're out there and uh you know i got mine which is pretty cool and i'm debating whether to give it away or sell it or trade it or not scalp it but just to sell it because i really don't need it yeah it's interesting and to see how it's going to play out if they relaunch the nes classic if this will just become a normal thing that you can buy forever or for a long time it's Mm -hmm. 
it's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Yeah, I was kind of one of those people where I wanted to see all my friends who really wanted one get one. But then on the other hand, I kind of wanted to see Nintendo kind of flop again. I don't know. I kind of wanted to watch the train wreck. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Schadenfreude. I know it. Yeah. So I'm glad that everyone I saw that uh, really wanted one on social media got one. Nice. So something that's not in the notes, and uh, since we were talking about the SNES Mini, which is almost a monthly thing, there is some limited run games news uh, this month, okay. which we almost avoided it, but they announced something very exciting a couple of days ago. Did you see this? I did not. I count on you to keep me up with this kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I follow them pretty closely on social media just because I'm interested. And they announced a couple of days ago that they're going to start producing uh, Nintendo Switch games next year. So oh, that is yeah. very exciting. That. Yeah. I can't remember. They announced, did they announce one game? Is that correct? Am I wrong? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. No. They might okay. have, but... They are announcing games left and right, actually. They got the wheels cranking again. They they obviously ironed out that ESRB rating thing pretty quickly because they put out a, a rated game like right away. So I guess they have that under control now, which is good. It's funny. I was um, in a game shop today and I was asking a guy um, what he collected. He said he's going for an entire Vita collection, which I thought, you know, would kind of uh, get your eyes to kind of perk up by saying that. For sure. And I asked him a simple question. I said, are you counting limited run games? And he said, no, I'm not. I said, well, well, I kind of find that interesting because they are official releases, right? Yeah, definitely. It's not a Kickstarter or something like that that someone's kind of making that you could say, oh, I don't need to include that. So it gets into a really kind of gray area that I find very interesting. He said, no, I'm not. But at the same time, I think it kind of brought up kind of a good conversation, kind of made him think about it. Oh, yeah, well, these are actual production games. They're actual licensed games by these companies. Uh, you know, Sony definitely licensed these games. And uh, Limited Run is like their biggest developer now. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future as far as collecting Vita games and even PS4 games, right? Yeah, for sure. And just to clarify, I think you just used the word developer when you meant to yeah, say publisher. That's correct. Yes, publisher. But yeah, that's very interesting. And I don't blame that guy for not wanting to stay with Limited <laughs> Run for a complete set because yeah. they're going to keep making these games. And some of their early titles are very hard to get at a reasonable price at this point. So I don't blame him at all. He said that he does have some of them and he keeps them over to the side, but he doesn't consider them as part of you know what he's trying to collect, which as someone going for complete collections, I get it. You know, you have to make it your own sort of distinction as what you find complete. And a lot of people aren't going to agree with you as far as what that line is all the time. Yeah, Rich, that sounds like some real foreshadowing there. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone's waiting with bated breath to hear about uh, what we discussed last week. But uh, in other news, I just got back from Retro World Expo. And man, I had a blast. It was such a great time catching up with everyone. Again, stayed at Bill's place, got to see, um, of course, Bill and Krabby and Duke, the guys from the Collector cast, uh, was on a panel with those guys. I know they're going to do the audio, but I think they recorded it as well. So it's going to be up on YouTube at some point. Awesome. And it was a really nice panel. We kind of got fitted in toward the end, uh, sort of last minute. where We were Sunday at 11 o'clock, and they just told us to kind of come up with something. And so we decided to do 
of course, collecting since they are the collector cast, but we started to talk about collecting at conventions and what good strategies were for collecting at conventions because a lot of people don't understand the unwritten rules of conventions and like pricing and things of that nature. People like to cry and whine about the prices of things, but you've got to understand that people are there also to make money. And, uh, and to be honest, uh, the prices weren't bad. Most of the stuff, if not all the stuff I got, was under eBay pricing. So I was very happy with what I grabbed. And of course, you know, I'll talk about that in pickups. But, you know, I just want to say um, I had a great time. Like I said, I, the guys from the Collector Cast were there. Russ Lyman was there. He shot a video that everyone should definitely watch. I am kind of prominently featured in this video, which is pretty awesome. I don't know if you've seen it yet. I haven't seen his rundown video. There's another video that you were in that we'll talk about in a minute. But I know he put out like a cool like a rundown of everything. I do want to see that. I haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, definitely, man. You should check that out. It's really great. Love seeing Russ. Um, love seeing the guys that put on the convention. Got to see Bickman and Isret from the site. Uh, I got to see Pam and Will. Got to meet those two. They are awesome. Just as cool in person as they are on social media and getting to speak to them. You know, especially Pam. We've had her on our show a few mm -hmm. times. Got to see Eric from Germany. Uh, oh, he and awesome. his fiance. Yeah. He's a really awesome dude, and uh, you know, hope to uh, catch up with him some more. He actually stayed with me last year, and that was a really, really good time. But overall, the show was a huge success, and uh, just a lot of fun stuff to do, and hope to go back next year. And also, uh, I didn't want to mention, I saw Zofar53, who's one of our writers on the site. Got to meet him and uh, catch up with him. Another just super awesome guy, and... Uh, just really happy to add him, you know, kind of into the group of uh, friends that meets at this convention every year. So, yeah, man, great time. Awesome. One of these years, I will make it out there. Yeah, you should. You definitely should. I think you would really, really enjoy yourself. It's a really fun convention, and uh, they do a good job of putting it on. But uh, I'm beat, man. I helped with move in <laughs> and move out. So um, I moved a lot of arcade machines and hooked up a lot of systems, but definitely well worth it. You know, had to earn my keep to get into the show and, uh, you know, have the free room and board at Bill's house. So it was really cool. Awesome. Well, uh, speaking of Zofar, he has something really neat going on on the site. Um, so for those who don't know, he started a little bit of a, a movie club on the site, which is cool. And he just kind of threw it out there like... Uh, you know, we have our playthroughs, like, why don't we do a movie club? And we, we tried this in the past with like a book club, but we only read one book. Well, we did two. <laughs> we did two books, but it didn't really catch on. So I'm hoping this film thing catches on because, of course, it's much less of a time investment. Yeah. Um, but the first movie we watched was Brain Scan, which was a film that I had never even heard of until this thing came up on the forum. And I watched it with my wife, and oh my goodness, we absolutely loved it. What a <laughs> what an awesome, cheesy. It's not uh, yeah, a cheesy movie from the '90s with Edward Furlong and like all this like retro future technology from the '90s. It, it, it was just really what a kick-ass movie, man. Yeah, it has some great twists in it too that uh, you know we won't get into here, but definitely, definitely worth a watch. Uh, I think anybody that was like really into, uh, I guess, sort of metal music in the 90s that has a really cool soundtrack oh, yeah. will really like this movie and remembers like, um, you know, FMV and sort of, you know, what virtual reality gaming was like at that point. It's a really, really cool concept and uh, a really fun way to do a horror movie. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to mention, too, I don't know if I 
sent you a text about this or not, but Saturday night after the convention, they have an after party. It's like five bucks to get in. They had a DJ. They brought up some arcade machines, uh, one of which was Mortal Kombat 2. And Daniel Pacina, who's the guy that plays uh, Liu Kang, and I think did Scorpion as well in the game. And then the guy that played Jax uh, were both upstairs playing people in Mortal Kombat 2. It was really awesome. And uh, they had a little thing called Drink and Draw, where you would buy like a beer for an artist and they would draw a picture for you. And then the third thing that they had was they did a movie on Laserdisc. And guess what that movie was? <laughs> Brain awesome. scan. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And it just happened to be that movie. And uh, I was uh, getting a beer and kind of in the little arcade area with the DJ. And Bill came over to me. He's like, Rich, Rich, come here. You got to see this. You got to come over here. And we walked into the next room and there was Brain Scan, you know, playing on the big screen. It was uh, it was really cool. I probably watched about half of the film before doing some other things. And uh, of course, Travis was there watching it as well with me. So we got to talk about the movie quite a bit. So yeah, it's, an, it's a new thing on the site. I'm not sure what we're going to do next month, but uh, you should definitely tune into the forums and the uh, front page of RF Generation because I think Travis is going to be doing his announcements there as well. Awesome. Well, there's one more thing I wanted to do, which was give another podcast that I like to listen to a quick shout out. And that is the Reset podcast from Australia. And I love their show. It's these two people named Michael and Tegan. So you got a male and a female, you know, one on one, which is great. And it's not a format you hear very often in video game podcasting. Mm hmm. And they are just amazingly upbeat and bubbly and always laughing and joking off each other in a friendly way. It's just very positive. But I just wanted to give them a shout out because they mentioned my name on their previous episode because I answered one of their questions on social media. So I got to hear them say my name and my response to their question, which was pretty awesome because I'm a huge fan of their show. I'm sure they will never hear this, but for our listeners, if you like, you know, some positivity and some really fun laughing and stuff in your video game news, check out the Reset Gaming Podcast. And if you don't like all that fun stuff, just keep listening to our podcast. Right. Yeah. We're just <laughs> doom and gloom and nasty to each other and <laughs> cynical. <laughs> Very cool. What was the question, if you don't mind me asking? Do you remember? Yeah, they wanted to talk about games with unique art styles. So mm, okay. I mentioned a game that I've never played <laughs> to completion, but seen so much of, and that was Killer7. Oh, yeah. So uh, they just real quickly, oh, Sean Gray said, Killer7, great choice. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like super, super brief. But of course, it was the same feeling as, you know, when I used to listen to the collector cast and, and I would really hope that Duke would mention my small scores and I right, got all excited right. when he did. So <laughs> it's like, they're talking about me. It's me right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I, I would always like wait anxiously for my name to be called and my scores to be read out. That's so funny. Yeah. And, you know, just people that are really not celebrities but at the same time just getting to mention by somebody you think's really cool is is really awesome you know oh yeah it's it's so cool i wanted to address something that we forgot on last show we got to the end of the call like after we hung up 
And you and I were talking. It was like, oh, my gosh, we forgot our question from last time. We were yeah. doing uh, Last Guardian. And I-, I feel bad because we ask people to give us questions. And a lot of times we don't get any questions. And when we finally get one or we pose a question that people like give us an answer to, we always want to take the time to address those. So you had come up with a question about how Trico compares to other animal companions in other games. And I thought that we got some pretty cool answers. I think Crabmaster was one that had given us several options regarding that. Yeah, for sure. This is something that I put out on Twitter because this is one of my things in gaming. I love animal companion characters, and I think Trico is kind of like the end-all, be-all of animal companion characters. And uh, I started with some examples of my favorites, which was um, DD from Metal Gear Solid Five, Dog Meat from the Fallout series, and then um, Repeat from Tales of Vesperia and Koromaru from Persona 3, which I don't know if they're the best examples because those are actually playable characters. But we also have the dog in Fable 2 and the dog in Haunting Ground. Those were just my examples. But then, like you said, Krabby jumped in and... Um, Actually, Dougley was the first person to answer the question. He said, uh, Ruby from Lunar. I haven't played the Lunar games, but I put a picture of Ruby on the thread, and she basically looks like a cutesy cartoon version of Trico. She's like a cat with wings, which is amazingly perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So... You know, I know what the Lunar series is, but I haven't played them enough to know this character. But definitely a a good suggestion, I think. And then... uh, Krabby also chimed in here on the thread. Uh, Nakaruru's bird companion in Samurai Showdown, and more recently in King of Fighters 14. Strider's horde of mechanical animal companions in Marvel vs. Capcom. The bear you could summon as a druid in Diablo 2. The prinnies in Disgaea, which that's something I am familiar with. They're those little penguin guys that call everybody dude with <laughs> D-O-O-D, you know? Oh, another good one. Kirby's Animal Companions and Kirby's Dreamland 2 on the Game Boy. Have you played that one? No, I haven't. Oh, that's a really good Kirby game. You can ride around on these animals and... To be honest, they don't add too much to a game where you can like already take your enemy's abilities. So having the, the animals is just another layer of secondary abilities, but it's just cute. It's cute as hell. So Pikmin, he says, Robot, and then Robot Companions from ReCore, which is a game I haven't played yet, but I know what he's talking about. It's I like have a cool it. game, yeah. Yeah. And then Peter from Earthworm Jim. And he rounds it out. He says, uh, but hands down, the best animal companion has to be Rush. From I knew that man. was coming. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming from him. He says uh, he's amazing and Last Guardian would have been super easy if you could rush Jet around. So <laughs> good way to tie it back into the game we were playing. So yeah, even even I love Rush. I was not a huge Mega Man kid growing up. And I know Krabby especially, but all of you guys love Mega Man. That's like for the more retro gamers on the site and in this community. Yeah, That's a big thing. But I do. Oh, man, I remember Rush Dog or we called him Rush Puppy and you know, just running around surfing on them and all the other stuff you could do. So that was a really good uh, suggestion there. Yeah, that was the first one that actually came to my mind when you posed that question. I had a really tough time thinking of companions. Um, that and Agro from uh, Shadow of the Colossus, of course. I guess I would consider an animal companion. I mean, 
at first I'm kind of like, well, it's just a mode of transportation, you know, like, is that really a companion? But you really get to really care about that animal. And he does help you a lot in combat. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I think aggro is totally valid. Um, it's not like the horses in Red Dead Redemption where you just right. like, die and you just get a different one or something. Yeah, great question. And thank you to everybody who chimed in. And I'm trying to get more onto social media and get people uh, you know, involved in the playthroughs that we're doing. So really appreciate that. Um, yeah, ask us anything. It doesn't even have to be about video games. Uh, if you have any questions you want us to answer on the next show, just throw them out there. Yeah, if you want to talk about rap music or the New York Yankees, uh, you know, we're willing to do that. (laughs) (laughs) How much I dislike the Carolina Panthers. I mean, we can do that. I love talking about those things. Awesome. All right. Well, where should we go next? Should we talk about pickups? Yeah, for sure. And I know without a doubt that you're going last. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to build it up too much, but you have to pick up to end all pickups. So I think I'll just go first. Um, Okay, cool. And I don't have too many either. I did get the Undertale special edition. It finally came. I feel like I pre-ordered that forever ago. Mine's still in the mail. I got a shipping confirmation the other day. I'd forgotten I ordered it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, mine showed up. It's it's very nice. I, I haven't even opened it yet. I'm looking forward to playing that game after hearing all the hype. You know, the hype has come and gone, basically. So it's mm-hmm. not like trying to avoid spoilers anymore or anything. You just play the game organically. I did get my copy of Caladrius Blaze from Limited Run Games. Which Same is, here. Yep. Ooh, probably the most beautiful cover art. I mean, in the top 10 best cover art i've ever seen it's just amazing anime goodness and i also got my first nintendo switch game i don't own a switch yet but i grabbed fire emblem warriors i'm gonna start picking up switch games when the price is right just so i have a nice little starter collection when i finally get the console which will be soon i'm just waiting to have that 300 bucks be kind of extra in my monthly or weekly budget at some point i'm just gonna grab one so is this a possible christmas present do you think it could be uh if i don't have one by then i'll just you know (laughs) i'll say that that's gonna be my (laughs) christmas present and buy it for myself so we'll see my wife and i are so much into just when we want something we buy it unless it's like absolutely something we can't afford Um, right Oh my God, that sounds so crass and crappy. Like, oh, we just run around throwing money. We just buy whatever we want whenever we want. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's more that we're both very reasonable and kind of responsible with our money to begin with. So, you know, we trust each other and there's no like, unless it's a major thing, we just go on and get it. So yeah, the Switch will probably arrange it to be a Christmas present, but you know, we'll see what happens. Games are like not a discussion issue, like buying games, but I feel like anytime you like bring a new console home, especially like a new console that's several hundred dollars, I feel like that is the point where my wife and I have to talk and I just can't slide that past her, you know what I mean? (laughs) No, actually, now that you bring it up that way, I agree. And that's what happened when I bought the Xbox One, when I decided I wanted one. We talked about it and waited for the time to be right. And it was like, okay, I'm going to buy this Xbox One now. It's X and X dollars. Okay, we're good for this. Let's do it. So I've devised this strategy for myself in which... 
I take my kids into I GameStop. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that because we've talked about this before. See, they love going in GameStop now because they they really love Pokemon stuff. And they love these little things that clip onto their book bags. So it's easy for me to get them in a GameStop now by a simple bribe rate. And so I'm always like, hey, why don't you guys play that Switch over there? See what you think about that. You know, maybe you might want Santa to bring you that this year. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, why would you not ask for a video game system? You kids love video games. Why would you not ask for a system? If I had a parent willing to shell out money for video games when I was a kid, complete willingly willing to do that, you know? And uh, it's funny. It's a different world, man. It's not the same, you know, as when we grew up when video games were just like this kind of cutting edge thing, you know? It's so common now. For my kids, it doesn't blow up on their radar. They want cell phones, which they're not getting. Right. You can get a Switch, though. Daddy will buy that. <laughs> there you go. Good compromise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very uh, cool. Well, that's it for me for scores. Oh, so. Lord. Yeah. All right. So I'll let you take it away. <sighs> Man. All right. So I've got the floor, right? Yeah. Um, I picked up a copy of Caladrius Blaze as well for PS4. Really happy to get that. I'm a real big shmup fan. So that was sort of a no-brainer for me. I got a copy of Popeye for Super Famicom, which was only released over in Japan. It was not released here. It's not the arcade rendition of Popeye. This is like a platformer. And I can't think of the subtitle, but it has something to do with the evil sea hag or the sea witch or something like that. Can be a fairly pricey game, but uh, found one that started at a low bid and uh, was able to snag that one off eBay. A lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about, and for the most part, the remainder of it, besides the next two games, is going to be stuff I picked up at Retro World Expo, because I went a little nuts there. But one game that I was looking for at Retro World Expo that I couldn't find was Dynamite Cop for Dreamcast. And so that's sort of like a wacky beat-em-up game. I found that when I got home at my friend's store. My buddy uh, happened to be working that night, and he hooked me up with a good deal for that. And... I picked up Life is Strange on PS4 when I took my kids to GameStop the other day. Hmm. And I already had it on PS3, of course, download only, but it's something about that game. It's something I love so much. I really wanted to have a physical copy of it. I don't know why that is. I don't know if I'll ever play the game again, but it's just one of those things I really wanted to support and just have on my shelf. So yeah, I think the remainder of these games are probably going to be what I picked up at Retro World Expo. I told you that there was a few people that had some limited run stuff there, and I picked up Thomas Was Alone on Vita. That's one I missed, but a game that I heard so many good things about. And when I took it back to the table and I showed it to Krabby, I said, hey man, I just picked this up. He's like, that's such an awesome game. He's like, you're going to be amazed at how attached you get to little boxes and lines. Are you familiar with Thomas Was Alone? Yeah, I played it a little bit. It didn't grab me. Not to say I didn't like it. I just yeah. started it and then just put it down. So it's cool that you got a physical copy of it. I had just downloaded it a while back. I'm a big fan of puzzle games, so this is kind of right at my alley as far as something I would like. Mm-hmm. Some other handheld stuff I got. I got a copy of Avenging Spirit for Game Boy, which I had been looking for for a while. It tends to be a fairly expensive game, and I got it for about half of what it's going for at a guy's table. I was like, I'd like to have this game. He's like, well, this is the price of it, but I'll drop the price at the end of the day. If it's still here, you can have it for this amount. Came back at the end of the day, and lo and behold, it was still there. And uh, he sold it to me for what he said he would sell it to me for. So that was really cool. Nice. Uh, 
I picked up a copy of Infinite Space on DS, which um, is a really cool space RPG on DS that I've been looking for for a while. For Super Nintendo, I picked up a game called Troddlers, which is a lot like Lemmings, if you've ever played that. It's just sort of a, um, a different twist on that game. I picked up a copy of Paladin's Quest. You know that 95-cent copy of Diablo that I found? <laughs> yeah. I actually <laughs> traded that for Paladin's Quest, straight up. Very cool. Uh, so that was awesome. I was happy to have that, and the guy I traded with was super happy to have Diablo. So, And then I also picked up a copy of Super Valus 4. I'm a big fan of the Valus games, and it was one that uh, I definitely wanted to add to my collection because I have all the Genesis titles. That's awesome. Uh, as far as Genesis games, I'll just rattle them off real quick. I picked up uh, Sword of Vermilion, Techno Clash, Syndicate, Burning Force, Fatal Rewind, Kid Chameleon, and WWF Royal Rumble. Kind of the surprise pickup amongst that group was Burning Force. It's a game I'd never heard of or seen before, but it's sort of like a motorcycle game like Space Harrier. If you know kind of that moving forward 3D uh, shooter, that's awesome. what Burning Force is. Yeah, I, I looked at the back of them and I was like, this looks so cool. And, uh, you know, the guy had a certain price on it, and I haggled with him a little bit, and he was, you know, happy for me to get it because he's like, yeah, man, it's a cool game. Not a lot of people have heard a lot about it. I also picked up a ton of Sega Master System games at the convention. I kind of pick up Sega Master System games when I find them cheap and didn't realize it, but I looked before I went to the convention, and I was like 23 or 24 games away from a complete set, and I had no idea. And so I picked up a good bit of Sega Master System games at a decent price. Um, I grabbed Teddy Boy, Aerial Assault, Dead Angle, ESWAT, Galaxy Force, Great Soccer, King's Quest, and Poseidon Wars 3D. And so that actually knocks me down to 16 games left to complete a Sega Master System set, which is going to be my next goal. That's pretty cool. Are you missing any heavy hitter, like super expensive games? Is that going to be... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I am. Uh, Golden Axe Warrior, I'm missing, and Buster Douglas Boxing, which are the two big ones. And then they did a Sonic game for Sega Master System. And it's one of those things where they put the same game out. I can't remember if it was like in Brazil or if it was in Europe. Yeah, I thought it was Europe. They put the same game out. And what they did is when they released it in the U.S., they took a little sticker and just put it over the back of it. And that's it. That's the only difference. There's... You know, no difference in the games at all, except for that little sticker over the back. And so, you know, it's kind of debatable as far as what I want to do with that. And there's a few games, actually, for that complete set that they did the same thing with for North American releases. So, you know, it's it's just going to be a, a judgment call uh, when it comes to that. So we'll see. But I still have several very affordable and reasonable games on that list, including Great Hockey which uh, when I sent my list to Kelsey, he said, well, the only game on this list I like see every once in a while is great hockey. I said, oh, imagine that, hockey games in Canada. Oh. <laughs> there was that. Um, I picked up several ColecoVision games, Loose. Actually, Super Cobra I got in the box because it was so cheap. Uh, Choplifter, Chuck Norris, Sidekicks. Quest for Quintana Roo, which is a fun little platformer. Pitfall 2. Brain Strainers and Motocross Racer. Most of those were from actually a trades that I did at the end of the day on Sunday. Some of the stuff I couldn't sell, I just took it around to tables at the end of the convention and just did some trading. I had gotten it at a good price and got 
what I thought was really good value for trading these things. And so, you know, I was able to um, build up my ColecoVision set a little bit that way. That's pretty cool. Now, what's your strategy when you're doing that? You just show some stuff and say, hey, I'm trying to get rid of, you want to do a last minute trade and swap some things? Or like, how do you approach somebody to do that? Um, usually I just walk up and say, hey, um, I've got some games and stuff here. Would you be interested in trading or would you like to buy some of this stuff? Oh, okay. So it's just pretty straight yeah. up. You know, okay. And very casual, you know, and they'll they'll either say yes or no. I was surprised that every table I went to, everyone was at least interested in what I had. Nice. And so I just kind of moved down the line, you know. I, I would go to the places where, you know, I started out with, with the guy who had all the ColecoVision stuff. He was a nice guy. Uh, he was a little off-putting to some people, I think. But when I told him I was interested in the Coleco games, he was like, man, I have a full box Coleco set at my house. That started the conversation. You know what I mean? Like, he knew I wanted some ColecoVision games. He thought it was cool that somebody else actually was collecting ColecoVision games and was interested in them. And so that was just like a great talking point for us. And it helped me like score a lot of those games at a very good price. He wanted to see them go to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I picked up from the same guy. He had like a $5 bin of Atari games. And I picked up a Space Shuttle, which is a... Activision did some like a blue variant cart of a lot of their games. I usually don't really collect variants for anything, but I do for Atari for whatever reason. I, I love Atari variants. And I picked up a G.I. Joe cart. They did a black and white cart, but then they also did a color one. And I didn't have the color one, which is really cool. Picked up Minor 2049er for the 5200. And uh, I picked up Fatal Run and Rampage for the 7800. The 5200 and the 7800 are also sets that for me are almost complete that I'm in the teens of games that I need to finish those sets. But um, <laughs> the big score, I mean, we talked about it last show, right? We know why I went down there, what what I was looking that, for, right? Is that the only reason you went? <laughs> no, no, to hang out absolutely with all your buddies not. or anything? No, you, were, <laughs> you had one mission. Well, well, let's put it in perspective, okay? So the last card I needed was Little Samson. I know where there's a little Samson in my area. It's probably about an hour drive from where I live. Oh, I didn't even know this, I don't think. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So I saw it at a game store, and they threw up a price. And, you know, a non, you know, it wasn't a non-haggle price. I could have haggled. It was a fair price. Mm -hmm. um, and I told myself, you know, I can buy this right now in this game store and walk out and have a complete set. And it ends it. I'm done. But I don't know, man, it felt like it would be so uneventful to just buy this across the counter and walk out. So I told the guys that were going to Retro World Expo, be on the lookout. If you know anybody that's going to be selling a little Samson car, I would really like to complete this around my friends. You know, that would be just really, really special for me. And that was my goal. I mean, of course, I went to see all my friends and, you know, hang out and stuff, which was the best part of the event. But that was the one thing that I really wanted to come away with. If I didn't buy anything else at this expo, that's what I wanted to come away with, right? Mm. So a few weeks before the expo, I found out that there was going to be one in the auction. I've been to the auctions before, and there are some deals to be had. Will Watts scored some amazing deals. I'm not going to talk about what he paid, but he got a Mega Turrican for a steal. Krabby scored a bonks on, I think, TurboGrafx CD for an amazing deal. Like, hundreds less than what you wow. would normally pay. These are deals to be had in the auction at Retro World Expo. It, it's shocking that some things don't get bid up like they should. But, with the little Samson, that's one of those things, everyone's looking for a Nintendo set, right? So I was really nervous about it. 
About an hour before the auction, a guy comes over to our table. He's looking at some Nintendo carts that Duke has for sale. And he says, yeah, man, I'm trying to collect a you know full Nintendo set. I don't have that many games right now, just a few hundred. And I was talking to him about the site. I was like, you know, you should join RF Generation. We're you know, a site where you can put in your games, you can collect them. You don't have to carry around a spreadsheet. He thought the site was really cool. I said, I'm trying to collect one too. I said, I'm one game away. He's like, what game are you away? And I said, uh, all I need is a little Samson. And the guy was like, oh, I have that. I was like, <laughs> you want to sell it? <laughs> I mean, this is the first words that immediately come out of my mouth. This is an hour before the auction starts. I've already gotten my bid number right. to bid on this game. And so I pull him over to the side. I said, okay, man, let's go over here and talk. You know, he's like, I don't know. I might be interested. It's like, let's go over here and talk. So I walk over there to talk with him. And all of the guys from our site walk over to the side of the table to listen in on our conversation. <laughs> and all of his friends are over there. It's like we're getting ready to brawl or something. You know, it's like the sharks and the jets. And, you know, I'm nervous. So I'm like rolling up my sleeves with my hands. I've got my arms crossed. I didn't even realize I was doing it until my friends pointed it out. They like, we thought you were going to knock this guy's lights out or something. You probably really intimidated this guy. And so we kind of left. I gave him my phone number. It's like, here's what I will give you for it. If you want to sell it, give me a call back. I do want to let you know there's one in the auction. I'm probably going to bid on it if you're not going to commit to selling me that cart. So I was a little nervous going in. So I went over to a guy's table that sold Famicom games and I bought a copy of Spartan X2, which is Kung Fu Master, but it's a sequel to that. And it's like a beat 'em up on the original Famicom. And it reminds me a little bit of Bad Dudes, but it's, it's a game I had been wanting for a while and I got it at a good price. And that was just kind of a buy to get my nerves to settle down, you know, right before the auction. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go to the auction and it's, I, I can't remember how far down, I think it's like the 60th item in the auction. So it's going on a while. All the guys from the side are standing around. Will's there. Pam's there for a little while, but she's got to speak at a panel. So Will ended up having to leave before I even got to bid on it. And uh, it came around, man, and uh, bidding just kind of started. And, and I noticed that I was the only one bidding. And the bids kept going up. Well, they were allowing people to do, like, not phone bids, but I think some of the vendors were allowed to bid on things because they had to man their tables, you know? Oh, okay. And so the price kept going up. And I was like, holy crap. And I had a price in mind. And um, if you watch the video, you're going to know what I paid for it. So, yes. I mean, should I just spit it out? I mean, I, that's up to you. I mean, people can just go on our Twitter and see it because that's uh, the video I was alluding to earlier. Thank God for Russ Lyman because he made a very awesome video of that bid happening. So, yeah, yeah, uh, he people did. can find out if they want to or you can tell us. It's definitely your your call here. So yeah, just watch the video. Russ Lyman also does a recap of all of Retro World Expo, and he prominently features me in his video, like the entire bidding process. So you'll oh, know okay. what I paid for it, uh, which is fine. I, I mean, I, I don't care. I'm not going to say it right here, but you'll know what I paid for it, and it was several hundred dollars under what that cart goes for. So I was very, very happy with the purchase and just elated. I mean, you can see my face and just all the guys around me, everybody just hugging me and, you know, high-fiving me. And it was, it was fantastic. I'm so glad that I never picked that cart up that was an hour away from me and that that's the way it all came together and that's the way it ended, being around friends. Oh, yeah. Um, it was fantastic. It, it couldn't have been scripted any better way. I mean, there were guys there with me that had helped me build this collection, you know? Right, right. That's awesome. 
I can look at my collection, you know, on my shelf right now, and I see games that those guys gave me or, you know, sold to me for just unbelievable prices and helped me out. And, of course, I did the same for them when they were collecting as well. And so it's very special. It's really cool having a um, complete licensed Nintendo set. Well, that is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't have happened in a cooler way. And, uh... Yeah. Um, even though I wasn't there to see it on video was very cool. So thanks again to Russ for doing that. And Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Russ. But yeah, that that is awesome, Rich. I think that's going to be the top score on this show for quite a while. I mean, you had to one-up me, right? I got Magic Knight Ray Earth <laughs> last month, and you said, nah-uh-uh, we're going to go one bigger next month. And uh, you got yourself a little Samson to complete. A licensed NES set, so that yeah, is freaking yeah. awesome. Well, I mean, I don't feel like I went up to you. I mean, no, it's, I'm just I'm playing. I, I I know, and I know what you mean, but I mean, it, just to bring about like kind of a bigger point, someone said something to someone else. They didn't say it to my face, but they said, "Oh, well, he doesn't have a complete license set because he doesn't have a stadium event." No, nah, f that. It did piss me off a little bit when I heard that, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know, your level of completeness is what you make it. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes. For you, you having that one game, I mean, you have other games from that console era, but for you having that one game, that is like the pinnacle of what you want, right? Mm -hmm. That's something to celebrate and something to be extremely happy about. It doesn't matter if it's a complete set. A set of anything is what you make it. And what brings you joy is ultimately what matters. And so to me, you know, as I've said before, Stadium Events to me is an overpriced variant. It's got a different label. It's got a different name on the title screen. But other than that, it's world-class track meet. And that's how I viewed it. And, yep. I, and I know that other people don't feel that way. And that's fine. You know, if you feel like that's what makes your set complete, I'm totally cool with that. And good luck getting a Stadium event. I hope you score it. I hope you get it for a great price. I was offered a stadium events at one point by a friend and an incredible price, but I passed it up. For me, I just couldn't justify even that much. Even knowing it was worth so much more, you know, I couldn't pull the trigger. Everyone has a limit, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. This is why it's so hard for me to even conceptualize completing a set for anything. Like, to you guys who do it, more power to you, but the amount of bad games that you have to own to do this the amount i mean at least little samson is a great game but yeah it's fantastic i have played it since i've been home too (laughs) i mean but yeah to put that write that down under my what are you playing yeah yeah. there we go (laughs) but to have that kind of pressure to own a game like like you said a variant of world-class track meet like oh boy like Hey, if that's your thing, like what you're saying, if it makes you happy, that's what it comes down to. And that's what matters. Our good friend Crabmaster, he has stadium events. Mm-hmm. He's got one. But at any time, he never said to me, oh, well, you don't have a complete set because you don't have this. Right. He's one of the guys in the video, you know, like I'm hugging and high fiving and he's, you know, ecstatic for me. And that's the way it should be. I mean, it's non-judgmental right yeah i mean let's face it if you're the kind of person who's going to call another person out for something like this you're just projecting insecurity and you're kind of a jerk that's just, and maybe even a little jealous right, yeah right. so so yeah i congratulate you again on your complete licensed nes set and that is awesome thanks man i appreciate that all right man well that's the end of pickups so uh Let's see, what segment's next? Oh, uh, tell me, Sean. 
What are you playing? There we go. Okay. Um, again, kind of a short list. It's funny. My my notes last month was like a full page, like scrawl everywhere, margin to margin was written on. But this month, it's like half a page, and uh, I can get through my what am I playing real quick here. I finally finished Persona 5. Congratulations, man. Yeah, that's a, amazing game. That's a feat. Yeah, I, I must have put about <laughs> 50 hours into it in the past three weeks that I was playing it. Uh, clocked in over 150 hours total, so that's pretty hefty. But yeah, amazing game. I've talked about it so many times, but I'm finally finished with it. I played a game called Battlefield Hardline, which is kind of noteworthy because uh, EA just shut down Visceral Studios, who developed that game, and I wasn't playing it because of that. I actually started playing it before that news was announced, but this is a pretty cool game. I I actually thought it was, like, very (laughs) dumb. Like, it's a very weird game where you have to like really suspend your disbelief there's a stealth element to it where you're running around like arresting people in like you know like a drug grow house or something but you're running around by yourself arresting people and leaving them there and they fall asleep like they have z's coming off of their (laughs) heads like (laughs) it makes no sense it's a total trip it's so funny but uh do your handcuffs have roofies in them i don't know they're like like tranquilizing handcuffs i don't know it's it's very strange but it was really fun like it's one of those games where like you do the stealth for so long and then somebody discovers you and you just go guns blazing and kill everybody so it's just one of those type of games and i had a lot of fun with it once i just realized oh okay this game is just stupid (laughs) i also played this game called oxen free which a lot of people are playing this game right now because it was free on the xbox games with gold so i know pam just played through and a couple of other people our friends on twitter have been playing it so have you heard anything about this game i think you would actually really like it I have not heard anything about it. So it's like these narrative adventures that we're going to talk about when we talk about Until Dawn, only it's a 2D, it's not a platformer, but you're walking these little Hmm. characters around a 2D map. But everything about it is, you know, dialogue choices and talking and making decisions about what to do and where where to go kind of thing. But it has this awesome Twilight Zone-ish, X-Files-ish sci-fi plot. I'm probably overselling it, but the ending is one of those like kick in the face kind of endings that once you realize what's going on, it's like, oh man, that is dark. That's awesome. um, Yeah, it's a really, really cool game. So it would actually make a good community playthrough. I think I'm going to put it on my maybe list uh, as a possible suggestion for the future. I think our people would really like it. Now, what's that available on? Uh, Well, I played it on the Xbox One, I believe. Uh, Don't quote me on this, but I think it's on the PS4. And I want to say Limited Run Games did a physical version of it, but I'm not positive about that. All right. It's on PC as well. Um, Definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I also played Gears of War 4, and uh, I had a blast with it. I loved it. It kind of dawned on me that I might sometimes send like mixed signals to our listeners about how I feel about like modern game design and, you know, shooty gun rage games, you know, like, but 
as much as I might sound like a snob about modern game design and how much I love hipstery artsy games like Last Guardian or stuff like that, like I've mentioned, I love the Call of Duty games and I also love the Gears of War series. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Judgment a couple months ago and I bought Gears of War 4 as soon as I bought an Xbox One and I finally got around to playing it. Anyway, it was just a really fun game of you know, shooting mutants and all these, uh, actually they start you off with robots, which is pretty cool. Like the cog, which is the military that you're part of for the first three games becomes like this totalitarian thing that your characters have escaped from. So it's a really cool, like plot development in the universe. And, uh, the cog sends out robots to come get you and it's pretty interesting. So definitely can recommend that. And, uh, my last thing that I'm playing currently I am playing uh, Ace Combat 6, and that's on the Xbox 360, and that gives me a chance to plug my latest article, which went on the site yesterday, which was (laughs) the Ace Combat Retrospective Part 2, in which I cover the PlayStation Portable games and Ace Combat 5. So I am continuing my quest to play every mainline Ace Combat game. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about 6 because I had very mixed and trepidatious feelings about Ace Combat 5, even though it's a very well-loved game by the community. I didn't love it too much, which I hope I explained properly in my article. So I was a little worried about how Ace Combat 6 would be. It's the first and only game on an Xbox console so far. It's on the 360. And uh, I actually really love it. The missions are super long, but there are checkpoints this time. So if you get careless and die or, you know, crash into a mountain by accident, which does happen, you don't have to start (laughs) like a a 45-minute mission all over again. There are actually checkpoints. So it is pretty awesome, and I'm really enjoying it. So that's what I'm currently working on. Right on. Very cool, man. Yeah. So, Rich, what are you playing? Oh, a little twist yeah. in it that time. Hey, nice. <laughs> Keep me on my toes. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, well, um, as we mentioned a while ago, um, I'm definitely playing Little Samson. I popped that in the other day. Didn't really know what the game was going to be like. I've seen a few videos and I've heard, you know, it's just a great little platformer. And the reviews are right. You know, you put that much money into a game, you hope it's going to be good and worth playing, but it's phenomenal. You get to play as a little guy, a uh, little Samson, of course, as a dragon, as a rock man, and as a tiny mouse. And so the game starts out, you play like a little platforming board, and you get through it with each of the characters. And then what happens is the four characters get fused and so the remainder of the game is a platformer where you get to like swap on the fly between the different characters and they all have like different abilities, you know. And it's really cool. Uh really really fun game and I've enjoyed it so far. I haven't been able to put a lot of time in it yet, but what I've played so far, I've really liked and uh, you know, I really like to play through this game at some point. It's really fun. And then the next game that I have been playing, you and I talked last month about maybe doing some picks for October, like talking about some games that we play, right? Mm -hmm. And we kind of cut that out of the show because we were getting a little long-winded talking about all the music that we talked about. But 
The game I was going to suggest for the month, and this is a game that I actually play every year in October, is a game called Monster Party on the Nintendo. Oh, hell yeah. Have you ever played that? Absolutely. I grew up with this game. Uh, Hello, baby. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's such a crazy game. It's crazy. It's it's really cheesy. At one point, you're fighting like shrimp cocktail and like a fish stick and a shish kebab (laughs) and an onion ring, right? It's goofy. Uh, My son came up to my game room and I was like, I'm going to pop this in with him here. And he loved watching me play it. It's not very hard to beat. So if you're looking for something, you know, really fun, I think you can probably get it for under 10 bucks if memory serves me right. Pick up a copy of Monster Party. It's just a really cool game with a great premise and some wacky, wacky enemies, right? Yes. Awesome game. Good choice. Oh, thank you. The third thing I've been playing is our playthrough for November. I've started playing that a little bit. I know you've done the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> like, wait, what game is it? <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I actually forgot to write that down. I am also playing Final Fantasy Adventure on the Game Boy. Yeah. When we have these months where we're doing an RPG, I like to kind of stay ahead a little bit, you know, and and chip away at it, especially when it comes to very classic ones. I'm not going to share any thoughts about that since that's going to be our next month's podcast. But yeah, so I've been kind of chipping away at that uh, at work, which has been great. Except I have to go to a little like conference room and play it during my lunch breaks because... I forgot that my Game Boy Advance does not have a port for headphones. So yeah, I didn't realize so that. Crazy. And I've been playing it mostly on that because it's backlit. I started out on my original Game Boy. But yeah, I, I like it on the Advance a little bit better. And I think I'm going to switch it up a little and play it on my um, Super Game Boy. So I can play it on my TV for a little while and try that out. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and it's cool because it saves to the same cart. So you can just kind of flip it around, put it in different locations and try out different styles. Oh, that's cool. I'm actually emulating it, but I got to just comment on the fact that the Game Boy Advance SP does not have a headphone jack and how that has to be one of the biggest design flaws in video game history. Oh my gosh. But you can buy adapters that plug into the power cable mm-hmm. that you can plug headphones into. And I have one of those. It's not a perfect fix, but yeah, it's two or three bucks. Right, yeah. right. I would I would recommend one of those for sure. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Nice. Before we get into talking about our game of the month for October until dawn, I did want to mention one more pickup that I had, and I actually saw it like right when we took our break and I was walking out of the room. I picked up a painting at the expo from a guy named Square Painter. Are you familiar with Square Painter? I was not until I saw this on your Instagram, and it looks astonishing. It's really cool. And if you're not following Square Painter on Twitter or Instagram, he is a wonderful follow. His booth was not on the same row as ours, but we could kind of peek through some of the curtains and like the uh, the cut through between the aisles. And we had a direct vision of his booth. He had the most amazing Streets of Rage painting that I've ever seen. And I really, really wanted that. And uh, Bill actually took me over there and introduced me to him. And, you know, I wanted to see what he wanted for it. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot more than I wanted to spend on a painting. But (laughs) at the same time, I mean, I thought his price was very fair. I mean, this is, you know, this is artwork. This is something he spends his time doing. It's beautiful. And it's one of those things where, like, he does everything in squares. 
But when you step back from it, it's basically like a form of what would be called like pointillism by artists such as like Chuck Close. And what's funny is I actually went up there and talked to him and I, I mentioned Chuck Close and I saw him get a really big smile on his face. And then I saw his significant other who was there with him just kind of smash her hand into her head. Like, <laughs> oh gosh, here we go again. You know, because like, obviously this is something he talks about all the time and he appreciates this artist's work as much as I do. And um, I posted a picture of it and I tagged him on it online and posted the other days like, I'm so glad this went to you. I actually got a Metroid Samus painting that he had done. It's the one like at the end of the game where she takes her helmet off and her hair just kind of flows in the wind. Yeah, um, a big reveal. Yeah, it's a small piece, but as you know, Metroid was the first game I ever owned. Very, very dear to my heart. And uh, I've seen Square Painter at several of the expos. And uh, I've always wanted to own a piece of his work. And, you know, to have an original piece is just really, really cool. And there was some other really cool art at the show. I wish I could have bought more, but uh, my budget just, uh, you know, just really <laughs> didn't allow it with the, uh, the little Samson purchase. But um, I did want to mention that before we got into the game. And if you're not checking out Square Painter stuff or following this guy, you got to do it if you love video game art. So let's talk about Until Dawn. Uh, this is a game that we played in October on the PS4, which is, from what I understand, the only system that it's available on. Until Dawn is an interactive survival horror adventure game, and it was developed by Supermassive Games and released August of 2015 in North America. It was originally, I don't know if you knew this or not, announced for release on the PS3, and it was going to use PS Move controls. Yes. And it was a totally different game. The game we got is more like a Telltale game, like as far as choices and actions and quick time events. Absolutely. But the game that they had originally was going to be like a more of a first person, you know, where you could hold like a torch and kind of move around in that way. Uh, so it wouldn't be like a third person, which is what it ended up being. So it would have been a completely different game. And it was thought that actually this was going to be canceled, and it was canceled in 2013. But they ended up putting the new design and put it on the PS4. It's more similar to games um, that we mentioned, like Quantum Dreams, like Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. 
It's also important to note that all the death scenes in this game were all censored in Japan, which is kind of odd if you think about it. I mean, like, how could you do a horror game, which is kind of a slasher game, without any death scenes, which kind of blows my mind. I've seen horror films that have come out of Japan. Yeah, I was thinking this. That are extremely violent and anime that's extremely violent and perverse. Do you know anything about censorship in Japan as far as violence and things of that nature? No, I didn't know as as far as this game even until I read the notes right before we went on the air. But we'll have to follow up on it because in the yeah. in the recesses of my brain, I know the reason for it, but I can't remember for the life of me right now. I mean, there's whole genres of those gory monster movies from Japan that are just mm-hmm. incredibly bloody, like crazy bloody. Um, so it's kind of weird. I, I don't know if it has to do with like the interactivity of a video game or whatever, mm. but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. There's actually a prequel to this game coming out that was actually announced this June, and it's called The Inpatient, and it's going to be regarding the events that occurred 60 years prior to Until Dawn, which should be very interesting. It'll be a different type game. It won't be that sort of 80s teenage kind of slasher game, but it will definitely be an interesting concept and in, in kind of going back and finding out how things got the way they ended up in Until Dawn. You get a lot of that background in the game with you know items and things that you pick up, which I'm sure we'll talk about. There was a game put out on PS4 for VR called Until Dawn Rush of Blood. But my understanding of that game is it has nothing to do with Until Dawn except for sharing the name, I guess, to maybe try to increase sales. (laughs) It was released in October of last year, and it's basically a VR shooter game. You're sitting inside of a a roller coaster, and you're going by stuff and shooting it as you move. That's my understanding of the game. Have you had any experience with Until Dawn Rush of Blood? No, I haven't played it, and when I spent a little time with PlayStation VR with my friend uh, way back when, I talked about it on the show, we ended up playing games that were shorter. From what I understand, Rush of Blood is not uh, an extremely short game, so it at least has that going for it in the realm of VR, so if I ever get VR, I'll definitely be looking for that game for sure cool you have to let me know if you like it or not i understand that there's a lot of jump scares and things like that in it that are very terrifying i think will watts bought it and i think pam played it for a minute and she was like "Uh uh-uh no no more (laughs) uh moving on from the stats and the history of the game we'll talk a little bit about the story and the you know kind of the background of the game the game consists of an interactive intro sequence which you play this interactive intro and then credits roll to sort of establish the story. I don't know how much your choice in that intro affects anything. As we've said before, this is like one of the Quantic Dream games where you've got the quick time events and things like that, and your choices sort of influence the ending and things you're going to get. That's the type of game that Until Dawn is as well. But the intro scene, I don't think, lends itself to changing your overall fate in the game it's sort of on rails right yeah and i've heard of many people trying to play that intro over and over again when the game first came out trying to somehow save one of the two sisters which we'll get into in a second yes but yeah but you can't like that's part of the story so right so you've got this intro sequence and then you get sort of the opening credits then you get 10 chapters to play but the basically the story 
just to kind of give you an idea of the background, there's these siblings called the Washington siblings. They invite their friends up to their parents' place on Blackwood Mountain, which is a place in Canada. The groups discovered that one of the siblings, who's kind of the, um, I would say she's kind of the nerdy character, like the more shy and reserved character, Hannah, they've discovered that she has a crush on Mike, who's sort of the playboy of the group. And they play this sort of practical joke on her where they leave a note saying that, oh, Mike's up in the bedroom waiting on you. She goes up there, she starts to undress, and they all pop out on her and make fun of her. So she runs out of the house completely embarrassed, and her sister, Beth, runs out after her. She goes to track her down, and they both plummet to what seems maybe their deaths. They, they fall off a cliff, right? Right, right. And so that's the intro we get. We don't know if they've died or not, because as we start the next few chapters out, we learn that the bodies were never found. But in that sequence, we see someone chasing them. So that's sort of how the intro gets established. Chapters 1 through 10 involves the brother, Josh, has invited all these people back up again a year later to have another retreat and have fun. Makes sense. And you kind of... I know. I found myself questioning, like, why would you go to this? Because you were part of this group that ultimately led to both his sisters' disappearance. Why would you do this? But a few of the characters have grown up with Josh and known him throughout his entire life. And they feel that this is a way that he's taking care of this grieving process, right? right. So that's how it's set up. And they're up there to support him. Um in a few chapters, you find out that they're being hunted by a mask-wearing, psychopathic killer, of all things. But things aren't what they seem as you get to the middle of the story. And the story takes a really, really nutty twist, which I'm sure that we will be talking about and spoiling for all of you who haven't played the game. Yes, and I'm glad you said that because I don't even put spoiler warnings in the intros anymore because I think people know what they're getting into. But yeah, we're going to spoil the entire story here. Yeah, you have to to talk about the game. There's no way to even get through a third of the game without spoiling it, right? So that's the story in a nutshell. Anything you want to add about the story or should we just go ahead and move on to gameplay? Uh, We can go into the gameplay, but I actually just wanted to ask you, we'll talk about the characters in a couple minutes, but I want to know, what was your initial reaction of the prologue, so to speak? So another thing I want to say here is, um, I played the game a couple months ago, but it's still pretty fresh in my mind, and to be point blank honest, I treated this month as kind of a month off for myself, but I did go back and refresh my memory with a couple of YouTube videos and... I remembered my initial reaction to these characters was very much shaped by the fact that they took this, you know, mousy little girl and played this like horrible prank on her. And I immediately was just like, wow, these are disgustingly horrible people. Like, I don't care if any of them die. And in fact, my goal is going to be to make them all die. Like, they're irredeemable from the very get go. That was my impression of them, like to do such a crappy thing to somebody you would call your friend. um, Mm -hmm. I just wonder, did you have a similar impression or were you just like, oh, these kids, like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I thought it was crappy, you know, all the way around and it definitely made my choices in the game. There were some characters that I was like, I would really like to see this character die. I don't like this character at all. 
just because of their attitude or who they were or their involvement in that initial story. But for me, being a fan of horror films, I think kind of changed my perspective or maybe makes my perspective a little different. I'm used to these stereotypes. There's tons of movies out there where someone has been jaded or treated badly and that's where the killing starts or that sole event is what leads to, you know, what's going to go on throughout the story. So I look at it in a different perspective. We'll talk about the characters, but obviously all the stereotypes are there for these characters, right? We were talking about the story as well. And I had written down like in my notes for the show that the story is a combination of Pet Cemetery meets Ravenous meets My Bloody Valentine meets Dawson's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as, you know, the characters are concerned, yeah, they're goofy. They're those kind of stereotypical tropes that existed during the 80s. But the characters feel very like 90s Dawson Creek to me. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people had an issue with in the game. I know that was a big point for you that you just didn't feel any relation to the characters and wanted just to see them all die. Yeah. Actually, I appreciate your take on it because as a horror movie fan, it sounds like you were trying to kind of role play each of the characters more than just you know, trying to punish them like I was. So that's kind of a cool take on the whole situation. I think I was treating it more as a gamey game and you were just like, oh, I want to play this out and see, you know, what I can have each character do as part of their archetypes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and we can go ahead and move into the characters. I know that wasn't next on the list. We're going to go gameplay, but I think it's kind of fitting naturally with what we're talking about. Yeah, and agree. just to kind of go on with what you're talking about, there were some characters I felt like were very redeemable. I've, obviously, Mike was a huge part of that joke. He was the one that Hannah was interested in. Mm-hmm. But at some point in that, I think you kind of get the feeling that he wanted her to stop when she starts kind of taking off her shirt. I don't know. He kind of becomes more of a a more likable character as the game moves on. He doesn't seem very mean-spirited. It was kind of a goofy prank, and it was, you know, a bad decision. Some of the other characters, like Ashley and Chris, I kind of felt the same way about. I don't know. Some people may have different perspectives on these characters, but it seemed to me some of them were slightly redeemable. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. And I definitely kind of clamped on to some certain characters. I did like Ashley and Sam a lot. And, you know, Sam is... Yeah, Sam's awesome. She's meant to be the the likable character. She's meant to be probably the final girl, even though there's... Yes, you can kill her easily. (laughs) Especially if you have hand tremors like I do. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it can get tricky towards the end, but she's designed as the final girl, let's say. But yeah, I'm going to say as much as my initial reaction was like, all these men and women must die in this game. (laughs) But I will say that like as the game went on, I was more like Ashley died in my playthrough, but it wasn't on purpose. I'll say that much. Chris died and it wasn't exactly on purpose, but I didn't care at all. Even characters like Emily, and Emily is one of the most hated characters in this game at large, like by the internet, and with good reason. She almost has no development and no, she doesn't earn any kind of redeeming quality, you know, like the way Mike does, you know. She doesn't earn likability in any way. Like she's a complete brat throughout the whole plot. And there are some points where she's in trouble where you can tell she knows she's in trouble and you feel a little bit of sympathy for her, but 
The funny thing is, she was one of the people who survived my playthrough. Mine too, man. I did everything I could to kill her, but I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are some tricky parts. Aside from the part where you can literally shoot her in the face, the game pulls switcheroos on you when you're trying to do one thing and it does a different thing. Uh, But we'll get into that when we get into gameplay and like the choices and false choices. But uh, I don't know. The game characters... Some of them just develop and some of them don't. And uh, again, mm-hmm. I think you can kind of gravitate towards, like you said, Ashley and Chris, I also agree. I have a whole bunch of YouTube videos I watch say that like Ashley and Chris are the the most developed and kind of fleshed out characters in the whole thing. And they have this kind of relationship with each other, a friendship that Chris wants to be more than a friendship. And maybe she does too. So that's she does too, yep. intriguing. So I don't know. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> We'll kind of go back to these stereotypes. As as I mentioned, you know, I watch a lot of horror films and at one time was doing a horror podcast. We've got the two sisters at the beginning. We've got Hannah, who is sort of like the quiet, sexually inexperienced nerd. Uh, We got her sister, Beth, who's sort of the, the mother hen type character, you know, and those two are killed off in the prologue. And so the remaining chapters are filled with eight characters that, you know, we kind of get to know a little better. We've got Josh, who's the brother, Beth and Hannah. And we definitely get the sense that there's something not right with Josh, right? The acting's pretty good. Yes. And uh, he's a little mentally unstable. And so we kind of get that vibe from him. And we even get vibes that there's maybe a possible red herring with Josh. Sam or Smith, as you mentioned, I've got her marked down as the final girl. I feel like she is the quintessential final girl. But as you said before, she can die in this game. So can you make her the final girl? That is an option. But it's not a given. Yes. Mike is sort of the ladies' man. He is the boyfriend, when the game starts out, of Emily, the bitch character, (laughs) as we mentioned. Right. Uh, But a year's gone by, he is now with Jessica. So Mike is sort of the hunk. Jessica is the new girlfriend, and she's basically the dumb blonde, I would say, right? She's that stereotypical character. Emily is, of course, we mentioned the bitch. She's moved on, and she's now with Matt, who I would say is the jock. Sure, he's wearing a leather jacket, (laughs) crying out loud. (laughs) I mean, how more obvious can you get than that? I don't want to say he's the dumb jock, but his character is kind of sad in a sense because Emily pushes him around and just belittles him all the time. There's a point where you have a chance to save her with him, and I was like, no, no way. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm just going to let her go. But, God, she lived anyway, somehow. (laughs) (laughs) We mentioned Ashley and Chris. We can tell Ashley likes Chris. She's more the intellectual character in the game. She's the thinker, kind of the sweet girl. And then Chris is just sort of the practical joker. He's Josh's best friend, and he plays the fool. There's one scene where he's chasing them around, and he's dressed up with a robe on, acting like he's a killer or something like that, which that's before it's revealed that there that is there someone is a killer. Kind of stalking yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Chris was kind of obnoxious in his humor, and I think he's kind of written to be that way, like annoying Mm -hmm. but i mean to me it was a little bit too much i don't think any of his jokes landed for me i was just more aggravated by him than anything else yeah i think he was just sort of a useless kind of goofball like you said nothing that he said was funny you know the jokes weren't great but it didn't go either way for me i didn't hate him 
I didn't really dislike him. I was trying to keep him alive. And I was upset when he died. I'm sure that he died at the same place that you did. I was a little slow on the draw, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I got to remember where, where he died in mind, but we'll, we'll remember that as we go over the plot details. All right. Anything about the characters? Anything else that you want to say about them or any that you really liked or hated in particular? No. Besides Emily? Like I said, it's funny because it reminds me of when we talked about Life is Strange and Victoria and how you and I really liked Victoria, even though she was written to be unlikable because we kind of like, you know, bitchy characters like that. Uh, (laughs) Like nasty women, I guess we have a thing for, but... um, (laughs) I just just clicked in a Z formation. (laughs) (laughs) So even Emily in this game, it's it's almost like... um, not nearly the same, like I didn't love her, like I loved Victoria, but like I said, how she has no like character arc and just like kind of stays that way throughout the whole game. I don't know, there was something about her that made her more interesting as this person who's lashing out and you don't really know why, like because people who are like that sometimes have this like deep-seated reason to be a nasty person, whatever it was, trauma in their life or whatever. So I'm not saying like, oh, she was great because of that, because she really wasn't. She wasn't a fully fleshed out or well-written particularly kind of character, but she held my interest. And despite my best efforts, you know, she was one of the final survivors in my playthrough. So I guess it was kind of meant to be with her. But yeah, like I said, I didn't particularly like Chris, but I liked Ashley enough that I was kind of trying to keep them in the game, keep them together. I can't believe, like, they gave Chris one of those faux hawk haircuts where his hair just kind of sticks up in the middle. And it's like, come on, nobody nobody does that anymore, even in 2015 or whenever this was. I know they've been developing this game for a long time, but oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I think we should mention, too, along with the characters in the gameplay, you get to play as all eight characters at different times, right? It just kind of switches off, and some of the other characters may be around you, but you get control of one character. And one of the things that you mentioned was Emily. I think with Emily, Matt, and Jessica especially, you don't get a lot of time with those characters. Something happens during the game where they get kind of lost for a while, right? And so they don't really show up till the end. So you're spending most of your time with Samantha, Mike, Ashley, and Chris. Yeah, and there's a ton of Mike, especially yeah. in like the final third of the game when he's in the uh, sanatorium. Yeah, Josh is in and out too. Sometimes you play as Josh, but he's basically in and out. And he kind of shows up at the end of the game, but not as a playable character. So anyway, the gameplay, this is an on-rails, basically, decision-based game with corresponding quick-time events. As we mentioned, you switch off playing characters. There's this thing called the butterfly effect. (laughs) You see, see like, little butterflies in the corner of the screen when some really important or significant event happens. And basically, I think what that means is, like, when something happens in one place, it affects everything. That's my understanding kind of of the butterfly effect. Yeah. The game has no specific enemies or boss or final boss battles, really. You just sort of play through the game and make these decisions. It's so on rails, in fact, that anybody playing this game can finish it. There's nothing that you can do to screw up your game. As Sean said, if you kill everyone, you're still going to get an ending, right? Yeah. So I've heard people talk about the game and how... 
it is a game based on decision making, but there's this sort of idea that the game is so on rails, how much decision making do you actually get in the game? And so I wanted to kind of propose that as a question to you. Again, this is one of the things I've looked into after playing the game and talking to other people who played the game. And there are, I mean, it seems to me the decision making in a lot of ways just boils down to if and when each character dies or survives and, you know, for Mm -hmm. how long they survive or when they meet their demise. There are a few kind of decisions you can make, but a few of them are red herrings or false decisions, or there's no choice at all. It's just the illusion of a choice that only Mm -hmm. one thing will ever happen because that's the way the plot was designed. There's another big thing that you can do, which is kind of making Josh survive. There are a lot of conditions that have to be met to make that happen, and that's known as one of the bigger challenges in this game. It involves collecting a lot of the collectibles. So yeah, that's one of the things that you can actually do. But I actually I see that less as a choice, like a decision to make in the game, and more as just like a challenge, like get a quote-unquote good ending. And I've seen it. It's not exactly a good ending. But, <laughs> <laughs> but Josh is a character that in any normal playthrough, he's guaranteed to die. So unless you hit these yeah. like very specific criteria to have him survive, he's not one of the characters you can just carry through the end in a normal playthrough yeah i watched a video just after i had finished you know i wanted to see an ending of like how it was different if everyone survived and the video said everyone survives but it still had the josh ending of him i wouldn't say he survived i mean he's still alive right but (laughs) so there is an actual way to get him to survive as still being josh right I don't think so. I'm talking about what you're talking about. And we can stop alluding to it because we said we're going to spoil it. (laughs) Sure. So there is this masked character. He's wearing a clown mask, kind of chasing everybody around. And there's this big scene where he chases Sam out of the bathtub and she's running around with a towel on. It's oh, so very 80s slasher movie. Yeah, that's a magic towel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it never falls off no matter what. Um So it turns out that Josh is this killer guy and this whole thing was orchestrated as a prank for him. It's kind of like the Saw movies, like he felt like he had to punish his friends for what they did to his sisters kind of thing. And there's also this really unnecessary thing of he wants to put all the videos he made of all these things onto the internet and make them like famous and have them go viral. But in his plot line is one of the more famous or infamous non-choices that you can make, which is he has himself and Ashley kind of restrained against this board with a circular saw on a track that can aim at either one of them and cut them in half. And no matter who you pick, he's telling Chris, you have to choose one person to save. And you flip the switch to either quote-unquote save Ashley or save Chris. I chose to save Ashley, so it cuts Chris in half anyway. But even if you pick to save Chris, it says, oh, you chose to save Ashley and kill Chris, or to kill Josh. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up Josh and Chris here. Basically, it kills Josh no matter what. And um, it's something that has to play into the plot because when Josh reveals that he's the one who's doing all this and that was just a hoax, it was a fake body with like pig guts in it or whatever, 
that's the moment, at least for me, and it sounds like for you, where you're saying, well, how much is this like actually my choice and how much is this just on rails? Like how much is this yeah. a telltale game? And I'm just changing a little bit of dialogue here and there. Well, for me, I didn't make a choice. I just let it go. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I let it go. I mean, I was like, well, this is my best friend since childhood. I don't have any relationship with this girl yet, but I don't want to see her die either. So I'm just gonna let the game choose for me. And so it did. And so for me, I didn't really realize that, you know, you couldn't take her out, if that makes sense, right? And that that was basically a non-choice, if you will. But even if you make that choice to take her out, that does affect your game later on. Yes, and we should say it's the same thing with another, the next scene that you're in, the next like yep. saw trap that you're in that has a it has two saws <laughs> that's what it is yeah right? it yeah. has two circular saws like so ashley and chris are chained at a table like a dinner table for two with two circular saws coming down towards their heads and uh they have a handgun and chris has the handgun and he's being told kill one person or the saw comes down on both of you so you have a choice to either shoot Ashley or shoot yourself as Chris and I gotta tell you I couldn't pull the trigger fast enough on Chris's face <laughs> so like that was a very very easy choice for me and like I said I didn't I didn't hate Chris as much as I hated some of the other characters but he was so disposable to me I was like this is not right. even a choice at all like I pulled that trigger so fast the timer didn't even start I think so <laughs> <laughs> Again, for me, this was uh, the moment where I did a non-decision. I didn't make a decision there. Let it roll. Wow, man. That, yeah. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it weird for me not to make a decision? Or is it weird to me make someone commit suicide or murder someone else? I think you're the weird one here. <laughs> I guess it's weird to hear you say that after you kind of framed the story as this role-playing yeah. experience of like horror tropes, you know, from 80s and 90s slasher movies that you were just like, I don't want to say paralyzed, but you like chose not to make a decision in these kind of scenarios and just kind of see what happened right. instead. It's it's interesting. Yeah. To me, it, it sometimes it becomes like, like to you, you're obviously playing, you're saying, oh, I'm just going to blow this guy's head off. It's a game, yeah. right? I mean, you know, it's a game. And uh, for me, though, I don't know. I think I get like oddly emotionally tied to like jackasses like this for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I play games like how I would react in a situation like that, right? Mm. I feel like I could not make that decision. So you would put the gun down and let the saw come down on both of your heads. I guess yeah. so. I don't know. Yeah, if I was in that situation. Well, it turns out that it doesn't matter because this is where the reveal comes that Josh yes. is doing all this to you. That this is where he says the you know the gun hunt blanks in it anyway. It matters who you aim and shoot at because Ashley doesn't take kindly if you choose to shoot her <laughs> later on in the game. But uh, she's very appreciative if Chris tries to kill himself at that point. But anyway, this is where the huge reveal of this twist that Josh was actually orchestrating this entire thing happens. Was it a twist, though? Was it a surprise? I I guess I was taken by it. I didn't. I don't think I really saw that coming. So here's the thing I should probably say. When I watch a movie with my wife, she calls every movie we see predictable because she's the kind of person who tries to figure out a plot as she's watching the movie. 
and which is fine. I mean, if you want to analyze a movie that way as you're watching it, it's totally fine. I get it. I don't do that. And I don't find things to be particularly predictable a lot of the time because I'm not looking for that. Even if it's something like, ooh, who's the killer? I'm usually right. not like trying to play amateur detective as I'm watching a movie or playing a game like this. Same thing with Heavy Rain. And we won't spoil Heavy Rain because this isn't the podcast for Heavy Rain. But You can have that spoiled for you if you listen to our podcast. Though. For sure. <laughs> but that game too, I wasn't like trying to figure it out as I played it. So when we do find out, it was like a huge revelation to me. Mm-hmm. But I get the feeling that Josh being the killer here, it wasn't a big surprise to you? No, no, it wasn't. I mean, I got the kind of red herring vibe from him at the beginning, which red herring would mean that he's not the killer. But as it turns out, he's killed no one, right? I was just going to say that. I'm glad you clarified that. He puts his friends in very dangerous situations, but he doesn't actually kill anybody. So, And we kind of put it together that something else is going on. And some of the things that we've seen and we think that he's harmed people aren't him actually doing those things, which we're going to get to in a second after we get through with this analysis. But yeah, I think I'm the kind of person that watches a movie and I have sort of like a formula in my head as far as who I think it's going to be. I have this sort of method where I think it's kind of just a fun game to play. And, you know, like your wife, I'm right a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, it's either I've seen something similar, you know, it's predictable. So I love when something has like a huge twist that really like throws me for a loop. And even when Josh died, I still felt like there was still the possibility that it was still him. You know, the body was never checked out. There wasn't anything done to see, you know, is he still alive? No pulse or, you know, anything like oh, that. Oh, you so, mean when he, like, fake died, when he cut his body right. in half? Yeah. No, you're right. Nobody dealt with that, I guess. It's just because I've seen so many horror films. I mean, it's just over and over again that this makes me want to try to figure out who it is or be very skeptical of people like Josh when they actually die in a film. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Even with the Saw movie, spoiler, you know, (laughs) it's the guy that's been in the room the whole time. If you haven't seen the Saw films, then you're way behind. Yeah. Remedy Dad. It came out like 15 years ago. It's okay. I think at this point. (laughs) I think it's safe ground. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I still had Josh as a possible person. And then you get these scenes, too, um, which which I want to mention. It's kind of a fitting place to put this in here, where there's these psychological evaluations that are going on in between the chapters right. with the actor Peter... I'm going to butcher this name. Is it Peter Stormare or Stormari? Yeah, Calamari. I don't know. No, I don't, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> the guy from Fargo yeah. is what I know him as. Yeah, he's the wood chipper guy, is is who he is in Fargo. He's the other bad guy other than Steve Buscemi, right? right? Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff, but he's great in this. But there's these scenes where he is given a psychological exam, and I think during the first chapter, you get this feeling like you're being psychoanalyzed. You're making choices, and you feel like, okay, these choices are going to end up in the game. Yeah, you don't know who he's talking to. And you're right, though. You don't necessarily feel like it's a character in the game. That comes as a surprise to even know that later on. Yeah, and things start getting weird. The backgrounds start changing. They get a little more kind of psychedelic, odd things. (laughs) The, The room becomes not a room anymore, but more like a cave. It's very bizarre. This is something that's going on in Josh's mind, which you find out more toward the end of the game. Josh is very psychologically unstable. Just as we thought from the beginning, right? Yeah. 
but uh, I'll let you continue on with the story after the big reveal. Uh, sure. So we have Josh, and he explains his quote-unquote motives, however unreasonable they are, but um, naturally the gang is not very happy with this, so they kind of tie Josh up in a shed, and you can... You can do some crazy things in there with him. You can beat him up or, you know, whatever. Um, But this is where uh, you'll have to refresh my memory a little bit. But we find out that the place that they're at had a mine that these miners got trapped in and they had to resort to cannibalism to survive. And that turned them into Wendigos. (laughs) Um, Yes. There was a curse put on the mountain a long time ago that you figure out by obtaining like items in the game, like these little clues. And it's the Cree Indians. But uh, Wendigo was more of an Algonquin myth, which is still Canada, but lower Canada, I believe, like around the Great Lakes region. And it's this whole idea of people that eat flesh and they start craving it and become these sort of cryptozoological beasts that end up attacking people. And so these miners being trapped down in this mine, basically the white man came and took the land from the Cree, and so they put a curse on the mountain, mm-hmm. right? They said, okay, anybody that eats the flesh, you know, someone here will turn into Wendigo. And so the miners were trapped down, and the only way to survive was to, of course, resort to cannibalism. And so that's where these Wendigo come from, and that's what is on the mountain and in the mines on the mountain that are basically attacking these teens right and you make this other kind of big discovery around this point later in the game that the person who was chasing hannah and beth in the very beginning of the game and there's also this scene where he's chasing emily around uh later on is actually this dude who lives up there with a flamethrower trying to ward off the wendigos which is uh Again, kind of like Josh's motives, like he's a little bit unconvincing in that he could have been more upfront with what he was doing and not just like chasing everything and shooting his flamethrower to everything that moves kind of thing. But um, he's a big uh, expository character because he just comes clean and explains everything that's kind of going on at this point. And he seems mm-hmm. a little off kilter, but the group kind of takes him in as an ally and protector. But of course, that mm-hmm. doesn't last for about right? two minutes. It doesn't last long at all. <laughs> um, you think you're going to go and kick some butt with his flamethrower, but from what I understand, it's another non-choice. You have one of the quick time events where you have to hold the controller steady. From what I understand, no matter what you do, that guy gets killed by the Wendigos. Uh, He's one yeah. of the many characters who gets decapitated in this game. There's a lot of decapitations. So Wendigos like to yeah. decapitate people. That's their thing. <laughs> So I've heard that that happens no matter what you do, and I kind of believe it because I was very good at holding the controller still. Like, <laughs> like that was one of my stronger <laughs> skills. I put that on my resume when I was done with the game, actually. So, uh, yeah, that will happen no matter what. And then from that point on, you're fending for yourselves and trying to figure out how to escape the mountain. Like the whole game, you're trying to escape the mountain, but then there's this new sense of urgency to get the hell out of there with these things running around and they're extremely fast and vicious and just the threat from them is so extreme and dangerous. It's pretty awesome. Now... I wonder how you feel about this, because a lot of people I read who were criticizing the game said, well, once it turned supernatural, you have to suspend even more of your disbelief. I don't know how Mm -hmm. I feel about this kind of thing. 
And uh, I can kind of see where they're coming from because I felt the same way about the Uncharted game. You know, when we played Uncharted, it yes. was, we talked about that. Like, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yep. and there's all kinds of other games that do that too. And it's like, oh, we're going there? Like, <laughs> so I don't know. It was weird to take this kind of slasher thing that had this kind of red herring twist ending and to find out that that's not really the ending there's really also these mutant cannibal creatures running around <laughs> ripping people's heads off so now what do we yeah. do <laughs> as far as comparing it to uncharted though i think it was different for me in that the twist in this happens in the middle you know it happens around chapter five uh, where you find out that josh is the fake killer and then you know the rest of the game is wendigo Uncharted, I mean, that happens like right at the end of the game. And the game completely changes from like a duck and cover game to a survival horror game, right? So that completely changed the gameplay of that game. The entire nature of the game was different at that point. And I'm not very good at games like like running gun, like survival horror games. I was terrible at Resident Evil 2 in college. You know, I just could not adapt to those types of games. But for this, I think the time investment as well is different. I mean, this is not a very long game. You can play this in, I think, the runtime typically on how long to beat is like eight hours. I'm pretty sure I finished in six. So there's not a huge time investment. So I feel like with that, it's sort of a good balance in throwing this extra thing in at the end of the game. And it does kind of make it more interesting to have this like backstory and to like grab these different pieces of the puzzle and figure out how everything fits together. I can't really complain about it too much. I'm with you. I felt like it didn't turn the game into an action game, but it lended this kind of intensity that wasn't there before. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you did have the scenes where Emily was running away from the guy with the flamethrower or Sam was running away from the clown killer who turns out to be Josh. But then at the end, it's like once the Wendigos are, you know, explained and you know what they are, they're everywhere. And the quick time events take on this really intense nature, especially the ones with Mike and Chris, where you're running around with guns trying to shoot them. And the quick time event involves moving a cursor into like a crosshair. And it's very nerve wracking. And I failed a bunch of times, you know. So it's not like a high skill barrier, I would say, but it's one of the harder parts of the game. And it's very intense. That's how I lost Chris. I missed the last Wendigo that jumps at you before you get to the doors a little quicker. Is that how you lost Chris or did you lose him because Ashley would not open the door for you? No, because like I said, I tried to shoot myself when I was in the suicide scenario thing. So I think I probably lost him where you lost him. Yeah. But yeah, I think the Wendigos are so intense and crazy, and they they set up a really good end sequence with everybody being in the house, Mm -hmm. and so eventually everybody convenes on the house, and all the Wendigos convene on the house, and um, you have this plan to blow up the house, and it's kind of like all your cards are on the table, and... Uh, in my playthrough, a lot of people died in that house when it exploded, and few people got out, basically.
one thing I, I did want to add about the story too, which I think is a key plot element, is that there's a sanitarium, yeah. <laughs> oddly, on this mountain as well. Hey, what a buy on that real estate. <laughs> Bet you got that place for cheap. It's like a hotel-sanitarium combo, right? Right. I think it was once a hotel, maybe turned into okay, a sanitarium okay. at one time or something. But your guy that's your kind of mountain man that's helping you, he's trapping these Wendigo in these cells. These miners were rescued, but they were being experimented on. And I'm sure we're going to get more of the details when we play the inpatient, which I think is going to be referring to that sanitarium, yeah, right? that sounds really cool. Yeah, I can't wait now to play that. But the other thing I wanted to mention was as you're down in the depths of the mind, you find a journal and you find out that Beth and Hannah were drugged down there by the Wendigo mm. and left to basically die and starve. Beth had died naturally and Hannah resorted to cannibalism after 30 days to try to stay alive. Yeah. One of the Wendigo that you come across has Hannah's tattoo on her arm, and you quickly figure out which one that is. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in some of those scenes, she does kill some people because there's part of her that's being taken over by the Wendigo. But there's some people she seems a little more sympathetic to, and she starts fighting the other Wendigo that are trying to attack you. I don't know if you noticed that or not. There is a little bit of, seems like a glimmer of human still with Hannah. Okay. I didn't notice that. I know she's the one that kills Josh in the normal, let's say, playthrough. And, you know, it seems like he makes that realization when he sees the tattoo and kind of sees her as his sister. He's like kind of lost it at this point. Like he's very far off the edge mentally. He's just being led around by Mike and Sam towards the end of the game, and then they, they get split up. So for an eight-hour game that's very plot-heavy, we are <laughs> glossing over some things. I mentioned that you can shoot Emily in the face, and that's because at one point she gets bitten by a Wendigo, and the gang doesn't know if it's like a zombie thing, if it's contagious. So they give you the option to put her down, which is crazy. And even for a character I didn't like in a game where I'm trying to kill all the characters, I could not put a gun to the face of a character and just pull the trigger. I couldn't either, and I did not want her to survive, but I yeah. could not. It's really weird that it somehow it becomes personal, you know, and, you, and you're, you're acting the way that you would act in that situation. You just can't do it. Yeah. You just can't take another life. As, as much as you want to say, I can't stand this character. But I think at the same time, you're thinking like, What's it going to do to the mental stability of the other characters that are in the game or to their stories if they do that? Yes. And then, of course, either decision that you make, Ashley starts reading a journal in the room they're in and they discover right away that the bites are not contagious. So that can be either a big relief or it could be like an, oh, my God, we just killed a woman for no reason. That can be a real <laughs> kick in the gut, depending on what you did there. Yeah. One thing I did want to mention uh, was this game, I think, does a good job. Like every time you save or turn the game back on, because it does have a on-the-fly save. So you can just save anywhere, which is nice. Um, but there's this whole thing where in between chapters it does last time on until dawn, yeah. which it does like a little synopsis. And that synopsis can kind of change as well, depending on like how your playthrough is going and the choices you make, which is pretty cool. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the movement because that was something that I brought up on the threads and had a little bit of issue with. Oh, okay. As we mentioned, this game is on rails, basically. I mean, you're directed to go a certain path in a certain way to make the story continue. You don't have a lot of choice when it comes to movement. But I think one of the things that really bothered me more than anything was that I was not able to look around or pan like 3D. I'm so used to like with more modern games and having two thumbsticks to be able to like turn my character around and pan and look in different directions. This game sort of felt a little flat to me in that regard. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of a blend of older survival horror games like Resident Mm -hmm. Evil or um, Silent Hill was not completely like that, but you're camera movement was restricted in in those games as well so i don't know if, if it was a design choice as a throwback to those games or if it was just practical for what they were trying to do with the story but yeah it's not an adventure game in a sense that you're not pixel hunting for items and using items on other items to do things so it's very mm-hmm. rare that you can actually like literally look around for things to interact with. It's usually right in your face what you need to do. Um, there are some things that are kind of off the beaten path, but I get what you're saying. You walk in the direction that they put you facing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the background is just flat and just stagnant, but your character can kind of turn around and face you and come toward you or or come toward other angles, like you said, to like seek out items and and different things in the game that may be off screen. There's one part, if you walk toward yourself, it puts you in a different room and you can actually find an item that way, which is, I don't know, it just seems odd to me. I would have rather had some sort of more panoramic being able to kind of turn around and look and freedom with the controls in that way. And that was sort of one of my complaints it just makes the game feel a lot more rigid and not saying you know it was like a deal breaker for me with this game but it definitely made me feel like i was more limited as far as choice you know which you kind of find out this game is more linear than what it would want you to make you think it is yes i wanted to talk for a minute about totems yeah (laughs) what did you think about the totems in the game So these are the collectibles in the game and they kind of give you like a hint of what could happen. It's almost like a little mini spoiler. There's some kind of benefit to putting them all together, but I can't remember. And I will tell you, as usual with collectibles, I didn't go out of my way to find these. If if I tripped over one, I would pick it up and look at it, but I wasn't trying to find them ever. Yeah, I didn't know they were even collectibles. I thought you just kind of looked at them, but I guess it maybe it keeps track of that. When you go in the menu, you can see the ones that you've gotten. So, I mean, as oh, far as okay. I know, that, you can rewatch that's, it. that's yeah. all I mean by it being a collectible. Like, you can see which ones you've picked up. Yeah, and they can let you know of sort of like impending danger that might be like in the next five minutes or it might be a few chapters away, right, you right. know, sometimes. It's all in how you read that image, right? Yeah, it's, it can be pretty ambiguous. It's not going to say exactly what's going to happen and to whom, but it will give you a very vague idea of something that possibly could happen. Yeah, it's very strange. But trying to put like the totems together with this whole idea of the butterfly effect and that Native Americans were somehow like enthused with butterflies is kind of a weird concept that just, I don't know if it really works or not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I know the answer to this next question because I know you. Yes. 
did you kill any animals in the game or hit any with snowballs or axes or anything like that? So, first of all, absolutely not. And, (laughs) you you know, I'm very squeamish to animal cruelty in any, like, in movies or anything. Like, my wife and I kind of joke about it. Like, if we even see an animal in a movie, we both yell, animal cruelty, like, just as a joke, like, because we don't want (laughs) to see it and we get nervous. Like, anytime uh, there's an animal on the screen, it's like, oh, God, please don't hurt that animal, you know, even in... I'm sending you guys a copy of Old Yeller for Christmas. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) But, like, uh, there's a few scenarios, like, in the beginning when Chris is playing with a shotgun, you can shoot a squirrel, which is just kind of nasty, and then... Actually, a good way to get Matt killed is to swing the axe at the reindeer, and then they will knock him Mm -hmm. off of the cliff, and he dies. So that's one lesson you can learn there, is not to mess with animals. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, I'm never going to hurt an animal in a video game. I I don't even like, like, some video games have that, you know, when a dog, like, kind of squeals when it gets hit. And some yeah. video games have that sound effect, like in Metal Gear Solid Five, when DD gets shot at, he makes that like kind of yes, yes, sound. and it's yeah. very like, oh no, I'm sending you back to headquarters, little buddy. Uh, well, there's a dog in this game too, or it could be a yeah, wolf. Yeah, I think it's a, or a wolf, wolf dog. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of becomes your companion if you do the right things. Yeah. And there's a way that that dog can actually die. I didn't know that, but I watched a animal cruelty compilation for oh, this game, God. if you will. <laughs> Not because it was just some sick thing that I wanted to do, but I heard that there were some specific effects on the game if you, you know, you made these types of choices. Right. So I did want to see how that played out because, like you, I couldn't do it. It's hard enough to take on the persona of someone else during a game and not be myself when I'm playing yeah. a game when it comes to choices, you know? And so. There's no way I could harm an animal just because of who I am, you know? Like all of these narrative adventure games, there's a few plot holes. And one that um, a YouTuber pointed out that I was watching today is when Sam and Ashley go in the sewer and Ashley says, wait, we should cover the manhole. And Sam just says, all right, well, hurry up and do it. And then she kind of runs off without Ashley And this part kind of stuck out to me in this YouTube video because this is where I lost Ashley is you hear a voice like kind of crying out and it turns out it's like a Wendigo in a basement that just grabs you and rips your head off. It's Hannah. Oh, okay. Because there's one of the endings that I saw where she lives and she says, I heard a voice that sounded just like Hannah or something like that. Oh, okay. You know, calling out to her. That makes sense. But in that thread, Sam doesn't even like acknowledge that Ashley is missing and like has gone. She just yeah. disappears from the plot entirely and nobody cares about it or worries about it. Yeah, and nobody goes back and searches right, for right. her or anything. Or even like mentions that. Yeah. her. So that was kind of interesting. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, and I'm sure there's other things like that. But again, just like where I'm not a really good person at predicting certain plot points, I'm also not a good plot hole detector unless they're really bad, you know, or unless yeah. I'm really trying to analyze the movie after the fact. So, you know, I think as these games get made and, you know, they get better and better, I would imagine one of the bigger challenges for developers who are making games like this is to tie all the plot threads together where you have these choices. It's interesting to see as these types of games come out, how they're improved upon and how they still have some 
a kind of glaring issues, you know? Yeah. Speaking of the Ashley scene, were there any scenes in particular that made you jump playing this game? I had a lot of fun watching some YouTube videos of when they were testing this oh, game. Oh, really? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then watching just some people jump and throw things at the screen and just like curl up in a chair, you know, just screaming. And especially the Josh reveal, you know, just being like insanely surprised by Josh being the uh, the fake killer. Well, that's funny because we talked about having these kind of reactionary moments while playing The Last Guardian last month. We talked about this a lot. But when I played Until Dawn, I get more annoyed with jump scares than anything else like there's such an overused cliche at this point that people just hate them and it makes me wonder why some movie studios still rely on them i guess because it's easy but um in this game there's quite a few jump scares not to the point where i was like come on like stop it but there were most you know most of them were like you know just made me roll my eyes or you know some of them don't seem to fit if that's maybe what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, because you have to earn them, you know? Yeah, there's one you look like into a truck window and this face just appears for a minute and you're like, how does that even fit into anything that's going on here? But then you realize later that Josh has control of certain things. Mm. But, you know, the characters never say anything about, oh, there's something in the car just jumped at me. It scared me. You know, it's all for the play. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels awkward and odd and I just... I don't know. I felt like some of it didn't fit. Now, there's one scene like down in the mines. I think it's where Mike's going down into the mines with Sam and he steps down off this ledge and you you see the killer like standing just right behind him above him. That's kind of cool. I can appreciate things like that. But just like little random things in a game to make you jump that have really nothing to do with the plot. I found that a little annoying. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the setting and the graphics of this game. We mentioned before that this uh, game was set in Blackwood Mountain, which I believe is a fictional mountain in Alberta, Canada, but it's very specifically a Canadian game. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. You don't hear about a lot of Canadian horror films. Even a lot of horror films that I watch that are made in Canada usually try to fake a U.S. location. It seems odd to me that they do that, but I guess, you know, at the time, especially in the 80s, which is the majority of the films that I watch, probably trying to get more money out of American audiences, which were extremely rabid horror fans at the time. Right. But uh, I found it interesting that that was the setting, but uh, kind of perfect. Uh, alone, isolated, cold the mining set it fit the whole idea of the wendigo even though not quite in the same area as the algonquins the you know and they use like the cree indian which i don't really have a problem with that because with things like mythology those are things that kind of get passed on from people to people that are in similar regions or or similar areas so that didn't bother me quite as much i I saw some stuff online oh that that clearly wasn't the right uh mythology for that area type 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 you know (laughs) um so you you know you know what i mean so but but i I thought it was viable i I didn't have a problem with it at all i definitely thought the setting was good for the story now Am I remembering it? Did they overtly say this was Canada or did you find that in your research? Because I I don't know if I even realized that until recently. I think it's in the the items and stuff that you find. Okay. I I did find that out in my research, but it's something that I had taken from the game as well. I can't directly remember, even though I've played it 
extremely recently, but definitely was a part of the lore that goes along with the gang. Well, as you know, I moved to Texas largely because of the climate, and I didn't like living in a very (laughs) cold place like New Jersey. So when I play games like this or see movies that are set in snowy areas, I just look at them kind of not nostalgically, like neutrally nostalgically, you know, like I don't want to be there, but it's neat to see that as a setting. Like I can definitely feel the cold. Like we talked about this in the journey podcast with the cartridge club guys. Like when that's done effectively, you can actually like feel cold by just experiencing the setting of a game. It must not have been that cold because, I mean, all the ladies were wearing yoga pants. Well, that's true. And they, you know, in certain <laughs> circumstances, they don't have a problem, you know, taking a lot of their clothing off. Uh, but just, you know, being with the snow on the ground and you could see people's breath when they're outside, you know, all of that stuff was yeah. very well done. But uh, as far as the graphics go, you know, a lot of people really like this game graphically. And, uh, it's pretty universally praised for its technology, and I don't want to argue with that, and I don't want to just be contrarian and say, no, the graphics suck in this game, but I'm not seeing it, really. Mm-hmm. And I would compare it to a game like Ellie Noir or Heavy Rain, or there are a lot of games with really good facial capture technology, and we should mention that all the characters in this game were played by actors. Some of them are have never been in a video game before. The guy who played Chris as a TV actor. And, of course, Aiden Panettiere played Samantha. So Mm -hmm. there's some, you know, I was going to say actual actors, but, I mean, not to disparage (laughs) voice actors and other people who have been in video games, but, you know, people who came from movies and TV are in this game. And I got to say, again, not trying to just be contrarian or anything, but I'm not, I wasn't like super impressed by the technology in this game. I feel like it's stuff that we've seen before. And, um, I thought the graphics were just pretty good and serviceable. I wanted to get your take on that as someone who doesn't play a ton of modern games. Were you like blown away by the facial capture technology here? I mean, I think your opinion's probably more the one to take than mine, being that, you know, I don't play a lot of these games. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I knew exactly who Peter Stormare was when I saw him. You know, I thought that was like, I was like, oh my God, it's the guy from Fargo. I (laughs) thought that was so cool, you know? Uh, He was the only one I recognized. I know a few of these. I think Josh is a famous actor as well. Well, not famous, but been on a lot of things that a lot of people who are gamers might recognize. But yeah, there was a few places where especially Josh's face and facial contortions were kind of weird. But I thought for the most part, the body capture and the motions and things like that were pretty good. They didn't have to capture any running, obviously, because you cannot run in this (laughs) game, which is weird. You can just walk fast sometimes (laughs) if it's working. But yeah, I thought it looked really nice. I thought that the settings looked nicer than the characters. Yeah, I agree completely. I think even though everything was like quite dark you know there's no lights on anywhere in this game it seems like uh but yeah there's a lot of detail in the environments and i've mentioned i love that kind of stuff i like kind of realistic environments with a lot of detail and a lot of things in them so they did that pretty well in this game so yeah and the environment even becomes a character of its own i mean you find in some places you're just walking for a long time 
And you're like, am I going to like come up on anything at any point? Right. I mean, the part where Mike and Jessica are walking to the cabin, that's like a long, drawn-out scene. That's a lot of walking across bridges and activating things. And, um, you know, you do get that idea of isolation and that this is out in the middle of nowhere. And it does add a sense of fright to it because it's so long and drawn out. You're like, oh, my God, is something going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know, it could happen at any moment. But, you know, you just keep walking and walking and, you know, kind of on the edge of your seat, like anticipating something to happen. And... Eventually, it finally does, but I think it says a lot about the setting and the, and the scenes and the you know the effort put into that, which I think was really nice. Very good. All right, so I'd like to take a few moments to talk about the music and the sound. The music was composed by Jason Graves, who um, has a pretty good resume. He's done Dead Space, Alpha Protocol, Tomb Raider, The Order, 1886, Evolve, and Far Cry Primal. There's some big-name titles on that list. Did you watch any of the extras after the game was over? There's there's some extras that kind of pop up that you can look at on the menu, and there was actually one about the music in there. Did you watch that? I by did not, actually. Yeah, it might be something worth going back and checking out, and anybody that plays the game, I think the extras are nice, sort of, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on, and, um, you know, some pretty cool stuff with the music. So I'll let you start, man. What's your take on the music in this game? same take as the music in every game we do man <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, standard these months a game is going to have music that's just going to blow me away and i'm going to have a lot to say about it but you could see by this gentleman by the other games that he's developed music for and these are games i love yeah. like dead space alpha protocol tomb raider reboot but i would say the same thing about those games like this guy is obviously a professional video game music composer so i don't think he's reinventing the wheel with any of the music he's doing but he's doing a great job doing appropriate stuff for what he's trying to do did you have anything kind of jump out at you here or what did you learn by watching this featurette about the music you know there's a lot of strings used especially with horror films i mean that can create a lot of tension mm -hmm. with strings there's a lot of rising and swell in times when the music gets really quiet right i thought that was integrated into the game pretty good i felt like there were moments where they could have done that more and made it a lot more intense and i'm not sure if it was that the game didn't do it or if i didn't have my tv up really loud because i didn't want to wake anybody up upstairs because i'm you know i'm usually playing these games deep into the night when everyone's asleep so maybe that's something you could comment on i mean did you have it up pretty loud did you notice any of these sort of rises and fall in the music which uh you know could have added to sort of the tension of the game yeah i'm sure it was pretty dynamic but i i think i was playing this game on my old tv before it died and i didn't have any kind of special sound attached to it like i have the sound bar now so i can hear that kind of stuff a lot better but um yeah i don't think i would have noticed anything special about the music either way at the time i played the game so yeah i mean i'm looking at his resume here and other than dead space it looks like most of the other games aren't really horror games specifically so i mean i thought you know comparing it to other like horror soundtracks that i've heard that was pretty good it was interesting and uh i thought he did a really adequate job of uh scoring this game i mean i gotta say i was impressed i think that would be something hard to do if that wasn't your like specialty you know from you know jumping from one thing to the next i mean I don't know. I'm, I'm not a music guy. You know, I'm not very talented musically. I suck at playing the guitar, you know, even though, you know, I try to do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, for somebody to jump from one genre to the next and 
put something out there that, you know, we're not like gushing about right now, but we say, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, it was adequate to fit the game. I think that's a pretty good testament to uh, how good it is. Well, listen, if I ever write music for a video game, I would hope and pray that people would just say, yeah, it was adequate, pretty good, pretty appropriate. <laughs> you know? Yeah. like I think that's a big yes. compliment, no, actually, I from I us, so. anyway. I mean, you know, uh, I think most people that play video games probably aren't musicians and, you know, don't know what goes into it. So I think that something that's fitting is a great compliment. So, yeah, great point. All right. Well, it's that time. It's time for our final thoughts on this game. My first question that I have down is I want to know how your ending played out. Now, I don't know. Did you play this multiple times? Did you just try to kill everybody the first time you <laughs> played the game? Or did you actually try to make everyone survive the first time you played? And who actually survived for you? Well, the first and only time I played it, I was dead set on killing everybody at first. But as the game played out, I kind of didn't exactly want everybody to die. Like, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to see certain people make it to the end. You know, I was trying to save everybody who had ended up in the house, which was not that many people, to be honest. Um, I know that Mike ended up dying when the house explodes. And I think the only survivors for me were Sam and... Mike and Emily, if I... No, not not Mike. I just said Mike that. Matt. Matt. Yes. And the thing about the endings of the game is that it doesn't really change anything except for as the credits roll, you get these little interview sequences with the surviving characters. And then you also get a recap of the dead characters and how they died. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but... I agree with a lot of critics and people on YouTube and such that say the endings kind of leave something to be desired because there's not really so much of a story point as there is, you know, the final characters who survives reactions to everything, which is interesting. But, you know, if you replay the game, you realize you're only going to get different characters takes on the ending of the game. So the replayability comes more from seeing how far you can make each character survive or what scenarios they find themselves in rather than, oh, if this many people make it to the ending, it changes the ending because it really doesn't, you know? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's the same videotape conversations based on who makes it to the end. Nothing changes about those conversations. There's nothing special about it. You're always going to get Emily talking about how Mike stuck the gun in her face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the sad thing about the game for me is the possible endings we had one of our players remark on the forum dougley007 who of course plays everything that we play he put how many possible endings that was his question at the beginning of this process and i looked it up and it, it seems like mathematically there's 256 possible combinations however that's only combinations of who can live or die possible scenarios of the eight people that you get to control in the game. However, the actual ending, like we said, is the same throughout. Mm -hmm. You're going to get the same videotape of police confessions for each of these people, no matter who survives. So, in essence, it's very linear. And there's really only two possible endings in the game. Two or three, right? There's everyone survives, everybody dies... Or some people survive, some people die. 
those are really the only three possible endings in the game. Right. With the little bonus scene, if you do all the crazy stuff to make Josh, quote unquote, survive. Okay. I want to flush this out because my ending. Okay. Well, let me tell what my ending was first. How about that? Okay. So I was so pissed (laughs) because (laughs) the two people that survived in my playthrough were Emily and Matt. The two characters that I hated the (laughs) most. So the very next night, of course, what I do is I'm like, I'm replaying chapter 10. Because after you beat the game, you can replay specific chapters and get different endings based on what you do. And so I replayed 10, and I at least got Mike to survive. I could not keep the controller steady long enough. I have hand tremors, so I can't keep the controller steady long enough to let Samantha live. But those were my four options. I had lost Chris much earlier, and I had lost Ashley the same way you did much earlier. And I didn't want to go back that far in the game, but something into me said, man, I cannot let those two to be the only ones to survive. They're like the two most despicable characters in the game. The bitchy character, and then the guy that just gets pushed around. It's hard to take watching someone get pushed around like that. So in the second time I played through, I got Mike and Emily and Matt to survive. Okay. But there is sort of an epilogue scene, right? And that's Josh's fate. And we get to see that. So my fate with Josh was that the police are now searching in the mine after the interviews. And they run across Josh. And he turns around and he's got these jagged teeth. He's obviously Wendigo now. And he's going to attack them. And that's how the game ends. So is that considered saving him? Man, this sucks. We're going to have to look into this because I was under the impression that that's like Josh survives ending, but I'm feeling like I'm completely wrong about that now. Okay. Is that the ending that you got or what did you get? No, I think he he gets killed. He got killed by the Hannah Wendigo. Well, see, in my ending, I saw Hannah like drag him away and then Mike kind of hides, but I never saw him actually die. But my understanding, like yours, is that Josh does have some way that he survives. But is him being a Wendigo, is that considered Josh surviving or is that considered Josh dying? I don't know. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think that having him become the Wendigo is the he's alive ending. And okay, so I'm watching right now a YouTube video titled Until Dawn True Ending Best Ending All Saved yeah. and Josh Wendigo Secret Scene. So okay. it's the scene that you're talking about and the one that I saw in another YouTube video with the cops looking for him and he's chowing down on somebody and is the Wendigo. So according to this particular YouTuber, that's the true best ending for the game. <laughs> so maybe I, maybe I wasn't wrong after all. I think that might be the same video I watched and kind of question, like, you know, is, is Josh able to come out of this cleanly and survive, yeah. you know? But. So I guess I'm thinking not. But if anybody wants to, please, like, t- tweet at us or come on the forum and let us know. Absolutely. Like, educate our <laughs> ignorant asses about, like, yeah, what this indie sure. is. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Well, do you have any more final thoughts in the game? Anything else you want to say? I mean, is this a game that you would recommend to anyone to play or, you know, maybe specifically fans of the horror genre? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's fascinating to me, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit, is the evolution that we're seeing of this genre, which is like kind of a modern take on adventure gaming. And as someone who 
I talked about it a little in the past, like playing Monkey Island and like kind of the older, like actual adventure games on PC and seeing that evolved to the point where it's not truly an adventure game and you can call it now an interactive narrative or something else, you know, like it's fascinating for me to watch the development of this genre as more and more of these games come out and many people call Until Dawn the quote-unquote best one of these, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, its biggest competition, so to speak, would be the Telltale games, which we still haven't played one of those for the playthrough, but I've played quite a few of them. Yeah, and you've played them in the Quantic Dream games that we have mentioned before, and we played two of those for our playthroughs, played Heavy Rain and Indigo Prophecy. Um, We haven't done Beyond Two Souls, but that could be a possibility in the future. I've played it before. So what I'm getting at is some of these games, like, you know, Heavy Rain had some plot holes that you were so big you can drive a truck through them. And Until Dawn, I mentioned there are plot holes, but they could have been tightened up with just a little bit of better writing. Like, they're not very far away from having a more viable plot so to speak. So it's very fascinating. Like I want to see what this prequel comes out, like how, how they improve on until dawn when they develop this prequel, will they tie up some of those loose ends in their development of the plot and the choices you can make? Will the choices become more robust and actually have more of a, a bearing on the story and not just be so obviously on rails Will there be false choices or choices that aren't really choices at all? Is that necessary? All these questions are things that they're fascinating to me in this burgeoning genre of the modern, quote unquote, interactive narrative adventure game. And yeah, as far as what I recommend it, sure. I mean, I do agree with the people who say that this is one of the better ones of these. I don't know if I would take it over Heavy Rain. I really liked Heavy Rain despite all its problems. And I would say, like, hopefully, if you play this game, you maybe don't have the, like, snap judgment of these characters right off the bat that I had, because it was really hard for me to, like, get back into it. And it was, like, only towards the very end of the game that I wanted to see any of these characters see the ending. So if you can get into this game and hopefully the characters don't just rub you the wrong way completely like they did me, which it sounds like for you and for other people on the forums and people have talked to this game, it wasn't that big of a problem. So maybe I'm just like super judgmental. I don't know. But yeah, I would recommend it. It's fun. I mean, it was on PlayStation Plus a couple months ago. So if you have PlayStation Plus, you might have downloaded it already and you definitely give it a shot. And it's one of those games that we've talked about this before too. It's a game that you can kind of do you know, loose couch co-op, so to speak, because you can play this game with somebody sitting next to you kind of, and you can really quickly deliberate your decisions. Like, what should I make this character say? And your partner can kind of yell out the answers and you can take turns. (laughs) You better be quick though. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta react quickly, but, um, yeah, you can definitely do that with this game and it makes it more fun way. So yeah. To me, it's not a slam dunk. It's not a must buy. It's not a must own. There are so many good PlayStation 4 exclusives out there, but I would say it's cheap enough now. And like I said, you might have it in your PlayStation Plus downloads. Definitely worth giving it a shot. Well, for me, I think that if you're definitely a horror fan, I think this is a game you should check out. I have a friend at work, her and her husband are really big horror buffs. 
but they don't like video games. However, in doing research for this, I noted that one of the writers was actually the guy who wrote the movie You're Next, which is probably one of my female co-workers' favorite movies of all time. So she was like really interested after she heard that. Mm. And I think that it's interesting that you have people that are writing these Hollywood scripts, but then they're making this conversion over into games. And I think that's really cool, and it says a lot about what games are now as opposed to what they used to be, right? I mean, it would be looked at like a movie actor going and doing television in the 80s or like the early 90s. They would just thumb their noses at doing TV. But now with things like Netflix and all these, you know, series, you're seeing like big name actors that are now coming and doing more made-for-TV type of shows instead of like full-length movies. So it's really, really interesting in that regard. And I definitely think if you're a fan of horror, I think it's a must-own for the PS4. It's a lot of fun. When I first heard about this game and it was compared to Telltale Games, my first thought was, oh, this is going to be a horror movie maker. You know, I'm going to make my own (laughs) horror movie. I get to decide who lives and who dies. But that's not really the case, Right. right? I mean, as we said, it is a lot more on rails than you think it would be. And that becomes obvious later on when you make certain decisions And no matter what decision you make, you're being led down a specific path to get to an ending that I feel is fairly linear. And the replay value in the game is only to try to save everyone. But don't know that you're going to get much of a different ending if you do that. And that's rather disappointing. And I hope that they will take maybe some of the feedback that they've had from this game. And when they do the impatient, they'll maybe clean that up a little bit and give some more options, which I think is something that you mentioned a few minutes ago. But with that said, I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to playing the impatient and checking that out and flushing this story as bizarre and as wild as it is and becomes. I want to know more. And that says a lot about this game to be so intriguing that it makes me want to play a prequel. So it is good enough in that regard. If you're looking for something that's sort of short and you love horror, like you said, perfect couch co-op game. Like in my family, someone like me is better with the controls, you know, for the quick time events. But my wife likes to tell me what to do. It's a great game for that. (laughs) So it's something that can definitely be enjoyed. And it's sort of an interactive horror movie experience. That's how I would describe it to someone. Awesome. Well, very cool. And and we should note there is no nudity in this game, but there's tons of blood and gore. So keep the little ones away when you're playing this one. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we've already discussed that we've been playing November's playthrough, but I'm going to give you a chance that you're hosting to talk a little bit about Final Fantasy Adventure. Yeah, so this is cool because this is one that has been on our radar for as long as I can remember. I think this is one of the earlier games we started throwing around as a suggestion amongst ourselves. You know, we just decided it was time. We were looking for a game for November and can be a slower month for a lot of people personally you got the holidays you'd be hanging around with your relatives maybe you bring your game boy yeah this is actually a spin-off of final fantasy that was a second densetsu game that plays like a zelda game it's got all kinds of stuff going on for it <laughs> and it can be played via the game boy uh you know a game boy advance or via emulation 
It might be on the virtual console, which is still up, even though they announced they're going to take it down for the Wii in 2019. But you can still get it, I believe, for this month. So yeah, Final Fantasy Adventure, it's a pretty cool game. And uh, I'm dying to hear what everybody thinks about this, because this is definitely (laughs) a retro game. If we were still doing retro and modern, this would fall squarely in retro, not just for the time it was released, but for the mechanics and some of the things going on in this game. But I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, come hit us up on the forums for Final Fantasy Adventure. Yeah, and I gotta say, we don't play a lot of handheld games as it is, and this is the first one we've ever played for the Game Boy in the, I think, 115 games we're at right now that we've played. So, uh, yeah, it should be an exciting month. So I hope that everyone will join us. up another great discussion thanks again for listening and thank you to everyone who participated in this month's playthrough next month we will be playing an original game boy title for the first time with final fantasy adventure a game that has as much secret of mana in its dna as it does final fantasy Be sure to sign up at rfgeneration.com to play the game with us and find out if it lives up to either franchise after so many years. Thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. Meat.